in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. Welcome back in. It is good to be here, Mitch. We are recording this on July 27th. That is a Wednesday. My dudes. The last Wednesday in July. And uh, it's a good week because NFL training camp, it's underway, baby. Everyone is reported. Everyone is active now this week uh, as the... 2022 NFL season really like officially starts right as as NFL teams report for training camp it's now we've turned this leaf over to the new season and we're very excited about that so on the back end of this podcast we'll be doing uh, a bit of looking ahead at this upcoming season obviously the megasode uh you know the season preview that'll come the megasode That'll come in about a month from now. Obviously, that's in the docket, but we're getting hyped. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. Just some teasers here uh, on the NFL season coming up. Uh, Obviously, get into some news and notes uh, to start the podcast and then some top fives. So uh, we got a a great podcast for the folks today. Was that was that plural top five? It may have been. I mean, honestly, Mitch, if you think about it, we're really doing like three or four today because we're sneaking in an extra top five in the middle there. I mean, it's I mean, we're being generous. We're just giving this shit away. It's the big list. We're a big list show. Like, we, you know, we're list. Who doesn't love lists? Come on. I love lists. Lists are my favorite thing. As you saw, if you uh, if you follow the website, if you follow us at the Sports Hour guys.wordpress.com we've been posting some articles on there we got jordan fox contributing now he had some great nba articles summer league stuff mitch you put out uh the top five that you did last time the top five kickers of all time uh we put up our top uh, top 10 greatest nba players of all time so a lot of lists here on the podcast a lot of lists on the website we like lists they're they're kind of our thing they're kind of our thing (laughs) It's the off season. Who doesn't love lists in the off season? So more, more of that ahead. Uh, and uh, yeah, it should be, uh, it should be a fun time. But as always, Mitch, I, I say, let's start off uh, where we always do with the news. That's right. Let's get into the news and notes around the world of sports. Let's get into the Oh, before we get going, I have an entry into the pit of misery. Okay. Um, I need to put uh, the Klondike company in the pit of misery for canceling the Choco Taco. Thank you. Somebody had to say it. I mean, I was what? I was aghast yesterday when I saw the news. Why? What are they thinking here? I I honestly don't know, man. Like this is just that's like the only thing I would get off the ice cream truck. 
Like, and we, like, right. like, we didn't get the ice, when I was a kid, we didn't go to the ice cream truck often, but, like, when we did, it was, like, a special thing, and I was, like, I'm getting a Choco Taco, and you just, like, they're robbing so many people of their childhood right here, like, it's, this is just, dilly dilly, Klondike, you're going into the pit of misery, and, <laughs> oh, dude, a life sentence, I still want to do it. It's not that egregious, but it really hurts my childhood. It's just a Chaco Taco, but it feels tough. Here's the thing, Mitch. I feel like this is probably some marketing ploy, like three to five years now. They'll bring it back, and then we'll be like, guess what's back? And they'll and, and then they'll drum up all this attention just because they took it away arbitrarily. So it could be that. It could be that. If, but they, I mean, could, if they bring it back, I might get diabetes in a week. Like, I will just be like... <laughs> Loading up the Choco Tacos. Yeah, load up the freezer, baby. Let's go. You know, the thing is, is the Klondike bar itself, the actual Klondike bar, is that the most overrated ice cream of all of all the ice cream sandwiches, the ice cream treats you can get? Klondike bar is pretty sub, is pretty subpar. I think it's pretty good. I I, I would put it up. Really? I, but like, I'm an ice cream sandwich guy. Like, I love, it's just. The ice cream in the middle, kind of hard. It's not very good. I mean, it's, it's very the thin, um, the thin chocolate. I don't know, man. I'm just you saying. You know what it is? It's lazy. When you got Choco Tacos, you know, you can do better. That's all I'm it's, saying. It's, it's lazy is what it is. Mm. They just took a brick of ice cream and dunked it in chocolate. Right. And then it gets it, real messy. When it's hot and oh, then the chocolate melts, melt, I mean, that shit place. is everywhere. What's your go-to ice cream, though? Like, like, oh, like, like of that style. So though, not like, it is. If I am at the gas station, it's a late night drive and I'm going to get myself a little ice cream treat or, you know, like a, a an ice cream, whatever. I'm going with an ice cream sandwich. I'm going with the Toll House cookie oh, sandwich. That's yeah. what I'm going every single time, every single time without that, fail. That's a good one. I, I always go. I always go with a drumstick. But with the caramel, Great. with the caramel Ooh, thing in the middle. Yes. Yeah. You want that little uh, caramel surprise there. Yeah. Huh? King size. King size. Got to go king size. I mean, just like the Toll House, you know, they got the big one. You got you got to yeah. go the big one. So. King, yeah. king size for a king. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't that's call king shit. A king. But that's, <laughs> yeah, that's king shit. That's real king shit, man. I love it. It's summertime. I love ice cream. This is that's that's when it hits right. You know, we haven't we talked needed. about like summer themed things at all on this podcast. I feel like that we no. needed to. We're all business. We're all business here, you know, man. I know. We're, we're in the nitty gritty. We're trying to the tape. We're. <laughs> I know, and I feel like we. I just needed to add that in. So yeah, dilly dilly. Yes. Klondike that... in the pit of misery for the foreseeable future because it's just a tragedy. It's a tragedy. yeah tragedy, well deserved. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're no arguments here on that. Enjoy the pit of misery. Your ice cream will melt. Very quick there. Uh, Mitch, let's uh, let's start off the news with some NFL news. And uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we did the podcast. So we'll dip back a bit uh, to talk about a few things. And most notably here at the top is a contract extension for the young QBs in the league. And that's Kyler Murray getting his deal. You know, it was a tumultuous offseason. He had him, you know, taking the uh, what the Cardinal stuff off of his IG. You know, that's that's like the typical move nowadays. Uh, there was sort of this tension on uh, whether he was going to get the money he wanted, what that situation was like in Arizona. Obviously started off so well last season, uh, but really fell off in that second half as a team and uh, in large part due to his play. And uh, But 
despite all that, he's still one of the young star quarterbacks in this league, and you have to pay those guys. And Kyler Murray got paid with a five-year extension worth up to $230.5 million, makes him one of the NFL's highest-paid quarterbacks. The deal includes $160 million guaranteed for injury. Murray will make $105 million guaranteed once he signs. Annual, average annual uh, value of the deal is $46.1 million, which is the second highest in the NFL behind only Aaron Rodgers, who's up at 50.3. So it is, uh, I mean, that's a lot of money, right? Like that's, that's a lot of money, right? When you're making more money per year than Patrick Mahomes, then the Deshaun Watson deal that was just handed out, his average is 0.1 higher. Deshaun Watson's at 46 million. Tyler's 46.1. You know, you love how players are like, well, he got 46. I got to get more. Give me the 0.1, you know, but, uh, and, and say what you will about Kyler. He, he is a great, he's a good young player still has the potential, but hasn't shown a full complete season, a full complete successful season yet. Uh, but at the same time, like this is the going price for a young quarterback in the league. And you either have one or you don't. So like you can hate the money, you can hate the value uh, and how much you're paying to Kyler Murray and is he proven or not. But if you need quarterbacks and they're young, that's what they, they have to, uh, that's what you have to do. And I think it's the right decision for Arizona. This is the decision they made when they drafted him number one overall. You invest into this, you see this through, and uh, he hasn't given you any reason not uh, to stick with him for the foreseeable future. I mean, we all know the dynamic player that Kyler Murray can be when he is at his best. Like, when he's at his best, I mean, this is one of the most dynamic guys um, in the league today. And so, you know, and like, and to your point, um, you know, that's kind of the cost you have to play pay for a young quarterback that's talented uh, whether or not it pans out or not. And so franchises right now, their hands are really tied when they have a guy like this, where it's like a, this could go really, really well, or it could not pan out for us, but their hands are tied because they have to take the risk. Um, you're kind of hoping for a high ceiling, low, you know, high floor. You're, you're hoping for a high floor, essentially. You know, you're hoping that it's, he's not going to be terrible, but he's going to be all right. And so that you can justify spending that money. So um I don't like the value. I don't know if Kyler Murray is worth this money right now, um, but I totally understand where the Arizona Cardinals and the rest of the NFL really is at right now, where they have to pay up for this kind. You know, they have to pay up that kind of money to secure a young quarterback with as much potential talent as Kyler Murray has. Yeah, I think it's hard for Kyler uh, in, in, with the context of what you see Patrick Mahomes do, what you see Josh Allen do. Joe Burrow and a lot of his peers and contemporaries. And yeah, he's not at that level. So then how are you paying him at that level? That did like, that is, that is hard. eh? And I, and I get that there. Uh, You know, a few things to Kyler Murray's credit. He's the first player in NFL history with at least 70 passing touchdowns, 20 rushing touchdowns, 3,500 passing yards, 400 rushing yards and 17 games with a completion percentage of at least 70% in his first three seasons. That is the most cherry-picked stat I've ever seen off ESPN in my life. Oh, my <laughs> the God. The most specific thing there. Yeah, uh, I've, never lo- I've never lost a football game on Mars, but, you know, right. no one's talking about that's that like stat. That, that's like that Penn State graphic that I'm sure you've seen. That's like Penn State has had a player in every Super Bowl, and then in small text, it's like, except for 12 years. It was like, what? So that's not- such a baseball <laughs> stat to pull out. Like, 
Yeah. Oh, he's oh, batting 283 man. against left-handed pitchers in the month of April. Right. On a weeknight. On the road. On, a, on the road. On the, you know. Uh, Kurt, Kyler Murray, though, his overall completion percentage of 66.86% is the best for a player in his first three seasons. So he still made two Pro Bowls. He was the offensive rookie of the year. So, yes, like it hasn't. Again, we haven't seen a full, complete season from Kyler that's that's. Uh, you know, concluded in winning something, right? Like they made the playoffs last year, but it didn't do anything. Uh, so it's a big year for Kyler Murray. And I think the pressure is more, uh, even more now that he has this extension and this guaranteed money. Now you have to prove that you're worth that mark. And up until this point, you haven't. So a lot of pressure on him, a lot of pressure on the Cardinals uh, in this upcoming season. Yeah, yeah. Could be a make or break year for Kyler Murray. He's really has for to sure. emerge, really has to emerge. Um, as a you know, a top seven, top eight quarterback in the league right now, if he wants to, if he wants this money to be justified. So, yeah, the next name to watch on contract extensions as far as quarterbacks goes will be Lamar Jackson. Now, Lamar isn't holding out from camp uh, over that, but obviously desires a contract extension, and uh, that's something Baltimore is going to have to work out uh, eventually. But it seems like they're going to go into the season without that. Uh, and that may be uh, a next offseason sort of thing. But that is uh, one of the next dominoes there. And I'm sure he was watching the situation carefully uh, and the type of money that Kyler got. I'm sure is very motivating for Lamar uh, seeing those numbers uh, for Kyler. I mean, Lamar's got an MVP, right? I mean, so that's uh, that'll help you out in contract negotiations. Uh, speaking of contracts, Mitch, Tampa Bay Buccaneers picking up a couple names. Uh, some some pass catching options for Tom Brady. Uh, a few days ago, uh, they, they announced that they uh, picked up Kyle Rudolph, right? Rob Gronkowski is quote unquote retired, right? We'll see come week three this season. He might come out of retirement to play with Tom Brady would not shock anybody, but they've brought in Kyle Rudolph uh, as a replacement, at least as another piece on that offense at tight end. And then uh, just yesterday or a few days ago announced uh, Julio Jones, former Falcon, former Titan headed to Tampa Bay. A seven-time Pro Bowler is going to join Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, who they had in the offseason. Uh, I mean, this is this these are some good weapons for Tom Brady. I, I think these offseason additions, uh, you know, they're not flashy. Julio at this point, what is he? But if he's your third, fourth wide receiver, I mean, it seems like a great spot for him and a great spot uh, for the Bucks. Yeah, it it just feels like the Bucks are playing like Madden franchise mode on easy right now. Like they're just they're bringing in all these big names. I know that Julio Jones and Kyle Rudolph aren't 27, 28 years old anymore. Right. They're in their 30s. They're on the backside of their careers. But these are great weapons to give a 45 year old Tom Brady to throw to. It, it seems like there is just it's overcrowded right now in Tampa Bay. There are just so many options, which I guess there's, there's no such thing as too many options. Like it's always great to have more than what you need. Um, but um I, you know, I, I don't think that these are considerably impact making signings, considering the, the weapons that were already in place in in Tampa Bay. It sounds like Russell Gage is going to be made a big part of the offense. Um, a young, good young wide receiver also coming from Atlanta, um, going to make an impact in that offense. Um, you know, and so I, I'm really kind of unfazed by these signings, to be honest with you, because it just seems like. Uh, it seems like a depth ad and yeah, it's just way too crowded right now in Tampa Bay for them to really make a direct impact. 
Yeah, and I think ultimately it's just, yeah, it's planning for injuries and what happens if somebody goes sure. down. Can we get six really good games out of Julio? Can he be there come playoff time, right? That's when we're going to need him. Can he show up and be, you know, show glimpses of vintage Julio when we need him uh, in big moments, right? Like that's what you're bringing in for that. Kyle Rudolph is just a solid tight end. Uh, oh, yeah, and he's, he's more Rob Gronkowski, but, uh, you know, he's going to do the job. Right. And he's, he's going to probably consistent. have more of an impact than Julio, I think, because for sure, for of sure. filling that void that's left by that was left by Gronk. So. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, obviously Bucks in a win now sort of situation, uh, pushing chips, getting getting players to add to a, uh, what they view as a championship roster. And we'll see uh, how that works out for them. Mitch, a uh, couple uh, injury sort of things. We'll start with Chris Carson here, who uh, is going to retire after five seasons due uh, to a neck injury, a really unfortunate situation uh, for Chris Carson, uh, 27 years old, was a seventh-round pick out of Oklahoma State back in 2017, started all five of his NFL seasons as the Seattle Seahawks starter, uh, including his rookie season, uh, for his career rush for 3,500 yards. Uh, but again, neck injury, he didn't. Uh, he failed a physical design, designation on Tuesday, which uh, triggered the release from the Seahawks, and after that, uh, he, he decided to, to hang it up. So, uh, I mean, incredible career for a guy, seventh round pick to do what he did to 2000 yard seasons. He was the first, uh, Seahawk with back to back thousands yard seasons since Marshawn Lynch before him. And so, uh, to be a seventh round pick to do what he did, uh, incredible sad for him to retire. Uh, it really opens the door for Rashad Penny this year who ended last season so well. And, uh, he'll probably look to take on, uh, definitely take on the bulk of the, the carries this year for Seattle, I, I guess, alongside, uh, Ken Walker, right? Who they also, uh, who they also added in the draft. So, yeah, that was like a like with a healthy Chris Carson. That's a very confusingly crowded backfield. So, yeah, that's um, a great point. Maybe, so yeah. you know, but I, I, I feel, I, I feel bad that Carson has to call it quits so early in his career. Uh, a super talented guy. Uh, he crushed my dreams his rookie year when I drafted Christian Michael who I thought was going to be the uh, starting <laughs> running back. And then Chris Carson steps right in and, and becomes the starting <laughs> running back. So that's a tough look. But um, yeah, for a, for a seventh round pick out of Oklahoma State, the guy you know put together a good solid five years. It's really unfortunate that it has to come to an end like this. But um, you know, health is paramount. Health is paramount. There is life beyond football. So um, I'm, I'm glad that uh, he's taking the steps necessary to get healthy. Um, and stepping away from the game that he, oh, well, you know, uh, while he can and, and is stepping away at the time that he did. So uh, congratulations to Chris Carson on a successful five years, a really, a really actually successful five years. Um, um, unfortunate the way it ended, though. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of uh, stepping away from football, at least for a little bit, uh, rookie wide receiver John Mechie, the third former Alabama wide receiver who's selected by the Houston Texans uh, in the third, second round, uh, 44th overall, uh, announced last Sunday that he'd been diagnosed with a form of leukemia and will likely not play this next season. He said, quote, recently I was diagnosed with APL, acute promyolytic leukemia, the most curable form of leukemia, he said in a statement. Uh, so he is on the uh, active non-football illness list. He's likely not playing uh, at all. Uh, I mean, this is a guy who tore his ACL in the SEC championship game in December and now going through this. Uh, certainly a tough stretch for a tough kid. Uh, not the way you want to start off your NFL career, but obviously health comes first. So we wish the best 
to John Mechie in his uh, in his fighting this. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad. I mean, it's it's obviously unfortunate news to hear, but I'm glad to hear that they caught it when they did, and that it's a a pretty curable form, you know, of leukemia that they can treat uh, swiftly. So, um, you know, thoughts and prayers, obviously, to John. Uh, roll damn tide, and uh, uh, we look forward to seeing him back on the field. Uh, obviously, not this year, but in the near future, we we look forward to seeing him back on the field. So. For sure. Uh, bit last last little thing here with the NFL in the news segment. Uh, we've seen some over the last what maybe month, even longer, last few weeks. Uh, the NFL has unveiled uh, these alternate helmets that uh, are making their way into the NFL starting this season. Fourteen teams, I believe, 13, 14 teams have alternate helmets this season. Uh, some are throwbacks, some are just alternates, but the NFL laxed on their rule that you can only have one helmet design. So now teams can incorporate different colors, uh, different colored helmets. And so we're seeing that this year. Uh, we've again, 13, 14 different designs. We decided uh, we've looked through them all. We decided to rank them in our top five favorites uh, for this upcoming season because there are some cool designs. Uh, not only just in the throwbacks, old, old looks that are now uh, being able to be uh, worn again, but just some alternate ideas that are really exciting. Uh, so, Mitch, how about you go first with your uh, top five in whatever five to one, one to five you want, and then I'll give mine. Uh, we'll do five to one. We'll okay. do five to one. Um, let me start off with the Saints. Um, okay. Okay. I love the black and gold color. and. You're going to see a theme with this uh, of black and white, because I think that black and white is so easy to make look really, really sharp. <laughs> and um, the Saints did it with the black and gold, man. They have the uh, Florida lease on the side as usual, but then like a carbon fiber print. But instead of the little squares, it's all little Florida leases all the way down the middle. I love that look. I think it's super classy looking. It's not kind of looks like a Louis Vuitton bag. Honestly, well, in a good way. I don't, I don't mean it in a bad way. Yeah, I mean, it kind of it, does. It's, it's a classy look. It's it's not getting too flashy, and it and it looks sharp. I I really like the Saints helmet at number five. Uh, number four, I went with the white Cowboys helmet. Um, this this you know it, it harkens back to the you know when the Cowboys did have the white helmets not that long ago. Um. But it's a nice reprieve from the silver because silver can be a little overbearing. I think we talked about this in the past where like silver can be a little bit overbearing in a mm-hmm. in a uniform, especially on a helmet. Um, and there's only one exception to that rule. And I think that's the Las Vegas Raiders that get kind of get away with that. So I love the white Cowboys helmet. It's clean. Um, they didn't get too wild and crazy with it. Kept it pretty simple with the two stripes down the middle, the star on the side. Um, I like the Cowboys at four. Number three. Give me your Carolina Panthers, man. That's a clean ass helmet. The black and blue. Are you kidding me? Do that with the black jerseys. You have an outstanding, like, dark color rush uh, uniform that you can use on Thursday nights, Sunday nights. Um, I love that Panthers black and blue helmet. Number two, give me good old Pat Patriot, uh, the throwback Patriots helmet. Um, one of my favorite logos in NFL history is the Pat Patriot logo with the Patriot snapping the ball between the legs. Um, 
Love that they're bringing that one back. And number one, and I think it's a clear number one, is the white and black Bengals helmet. I mean, that thing is so <laughs> damn hot. You have to put it at the top. Um, and to with for them to do it with all white and black jerseys, that's going to look freaking sick, dude. I, I love this Bengals scheme. I'll start at number one because we were in agreement at number one. And it was without a question for me, the, those Bengals uh, white stripes. I mean, that is just so clean. And the minute I saw that is the minute I was like, this is why we should have these alternate helmets. Like th- this is the exact reason why, because that is such a cool look that now we get to see it, it is so simple. You just change one color to another, but it makes such a difference. Uh, and it just adds a great element to what are already pretty good jerseys uh, for the Bengals. So yes, I loved the black and white uh, version of that. That was my number one for sure. My number two, you had this at three, the Panthers. I had Panthers at two, probably a little Homer here, but the Panthers are one of those teams that have bad jerseys because they have silver helmets because they have silver helmets. Their jerseys are not good. Their combos are not good, but this black is exactly what I'd love to see. And I hope that it's so well received that the team realizes that they should be doing this all along. And we just move completely into that as the primary if you want to add silver or white as an alternate do that but this black panthers with the blue stripes is so much better than what they do right now that it's an obvious like you need to change to this permanently uh in my mind so uh for me that's why that one was at number two my number three which is one you didn't have on here at all the falcons throwback Mm. The red with the old Falcons logo uh, and the black stripes. I thought that looked really clean. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I'm a big fan of the throwbacks in general, but I love that throwback logo for the Falcons. I love the red color. I was pretty high on that one. So that one ended up at number three uh, for me. Number four, the Cowboys white, uh, as you mentioned, just a clean look. They're silver. They get away with more than the Panthers. Uh, but the white is a really good look and definitely hope to see it like in a couple games a season in the future, not just one here and there, but uh, they could definitely incorporate that one. I think a lot. Uh, and then number five, I had the Patriots, the, the, you know, the throwback Patriots, uh, you know, uh, helmet. I thought that was great. Love, love the white there. Again, they're another team with the silver helmet that gets uh, sort of caught in some weird stuff. Uh, so to throw, you know, the uh, the white and red throwbacks with that helmet on is going to look great. Uh, honorable mention here, by the way, for me, I just had to throw one in. I loved the Saints, by the way, the, the Saints I did think about, but the Texans red. I was a big fan of the Texans red helmet. Uh, I loved that different look. I thought it looked clean, and I, I'm interested to see what the jersey combo with that helmet will look like because I think that's a pretty good look. Yeah, I I had a hard time with the Texans red. I just I I don't know what it is. The Texans need a rebrand logo wise, I think. Oh, you don't like the logo. It could I be mean, better. I, I like I, I like the logo, but it could be better. I think they sure. need to twist it up a little bit. Um, I do love the Falcons throwback, and that'd probably be my honorable mention. Okay. Um dishonorable mention. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. so which ones did you not like? Just give me two or three that you thought were very bad. I don't like the Cardinals one. It's boring. Um, you know, yeah. I just I just said I love black and white, but this is boring. They just right it put their helmet like and changed to black. You know, yes, that, that I was with you because in theory that should be good. Oh, black helmets, they should have black helmets. But then the execution is like, can we get a white stripe or something? Can we get like okay, or God, like anything? Red pinstripes down the middle. Or yeah, something? I mean it's no? just it's just um, black. 
for for the listeners, just black, and then it just has the logo on the side. It's, I mean, it's I don't know. Yeah, poorly executed. Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna put Philly's helmet on blast because I've always liked the wings on the side rather than the eagle head. Right. So I like the logo switch up there. Um, I am gonna put Washington's helmets on blast here. Um, yeah. Pretty pretty bad. Pretty Those bad. Those are just it, black with a with the W logo, right? And just a number on the on side. Kind of on the front, and then a number, and then the number on the side, right? Okay. And yeah, I just, I, you know, it seems like a like a created helmet you do on on you know NCAA football. It's just, yeah. it's just yep, it's yep. pretty. It's just pretty lazy, honestly. And I'm very critical of them lately, but I'm critical of them because I love them. But I do not like the Chicago Bears alternate helmet. Mm. I do not. I kind of like the orange. I kind of dig in it. I love no, it I as love, a one-off thing. I love it as a one-off thing, honestly. I, I love when we get to put on the orange jerseys. I right. love it. I just wish with the helmet, they would have done white with the blue C instead of orange. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's one thing when you see the orange jerseys, the blue pants, and then the blue helmet. But when you do the orange helmet, orange is one of those colors. It's like it's awesome. It pops out. It's it's really cool looking when when you do it right. There is such a thing as too much orange, and I I know that they're gonna pair this. Don't up Don't tell with the, the Tennessee jersey. Volunteers that, Mitch. Mm. Don't don't tell don't tell them that in Knoxville. I'm just well, saying they no. make it work. They make it work. It looks fine with them. Well, maybe once they, they incorporate one... a, well, they incorporate a lot of white with it, and True. so it, it counteracts it when you. True. When you're counteracting orange with a light color, it works a hell of a lot better than mm. when you're counteracting with a dark Fair color enough. in my mind. Fair enough. So um, I would have preferred them to see like a all white helmet with the with the blue C, but it's not the worst. But I do have to be hard on them because um, I've been hard on them lately, and it's and it's all out of love. So sure. But. Yeah, I think I mean the white could would definitely look cool, and hopefully they get to incorporate that style in as well. But I do love the idea of the orange for a game. I think that's fun. Uh, I mean, just any whatever game you have around Halloween, just wear the all orange. Okay, or you know just what? Be a pumpkin. Even... Just be a pumpkin. It's fine. Like it's Halloween. That's how you just plan it out every year. That's what, what I. What would make it even better is put the two blue stripes down the middle. Like oh balance, yes, because there are the no orange. stripes. Yes, balance so the that orange would've... out a little bit. You know, so yeah, but. You know, I don't know what yeah. what ones bother you. you. No, I'm I'm with you. The Cardinals, the Commanders, not very good. Um, other than that, I thought I thought the rest were fine. You know, I I think it's exciting. I just love that we get alternate helmets. That's a great thing. I oh, think yeah. we get more of it. And obviously, this is going to be incorporated over the next couple of years. So we'll see the creamsicles, for example, come back in the oh, orange yeah. helmet for the Buccaneers. We'll see uh, other stuff like that, and then we'll see teams. Uh, like, you know, add a black helmet, add a white variant. Uh, and, and I just think that's great. All of that is great. Whatever we could do, just it, more combos is better. So I'm really excited, really excited to see what San Francisco and Las Vegas do with their color schemes, because an all black class- Raiders helmet could be crazy, bro. Could I be want, crazy. I want an all black Raiders helmet, but like the logo zoomed in. You know how the logo is a little bit too big for the helmet sometimes? I want that zoomed in just a little bit. I think that mm. looks so sick. Mm. I'm telling so you, we sick. could get cool. We could get really cool. That's I think that's fun. I love the NFL is doing this. Uh, Mitch, let's talk some NBA news uh, briefly here. It's not really news as we're still uh, just in a flux of the season, right? Pre uh, preseason, pre camps, um, coming up here in the next uh, you know six eight weeks. 
Uh, had some trade reports on trades in the, in the last week. So we just want to talk about that. Uh, most notably with the Kevin Durant situation, uh, Shams Sharania. Well, I think Adrian Wojnarowski was the first to put this out there that Boston and Brooklyn had been in talks uh, for a Kevin Durant deal uh, with the package revolving around Jalen Brown. No real surprise here for me because Jalen Brown has been the name mentioned in every trade conversation they had, whether it was Kawhi Leonard, whether it was Anthony Davis, whether it was like, you name it, you know, if the Celtics are making the trade, it was Jalen Brown is the package, right? Uh, Jalen Brown, obviously he took to Twitter, took offense to that little SMH tweet from him. Uh, probably just tired of, uh, being involved in trade talks when you just, you know, helped lead your team, to the NBA finals, uh, Sham Sharania later reported, uh, more details there on the actual deal. Uh, it was Jalen Brown, Derek White in picks. Uh, reportedly, the Nets turned it down because they want Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and then additional uh, draft capital. And obviously, Boston right now unwilling to involve uh, Marcus Smart in that trade deal. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Katie, to Boston? And just, I guess, your thoughts on in, on is Brown smart? in a swamp for Katie worth it still in your mind? Or do you feel like that is a, a line to be drawn for the Celtics? If you are going to blow up what was an NBA finals team. Don't blow it up. Don't blow it up. That would be the worst move. I think the Celtics could make. Um, Kevin Just Durant trading is, for Katie at all. You're I, saying, I think, I think so because like there's going to be more than just those two. I mean, there has to be more than just those two. It would probably be one more player like a Grant Williams. Uh, you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't be anything crazy. And then it would just be three unprotected firsts and three pick swaps. It would See, be as yeah, much that's... draft capital as you could. But the main players would be Jalen Brown. And then, it, you know, for Damn, Boston, you not... want to throw Derek White in there. But if you're Brooklyn, you want you want Marcus Smart. See, and that's just not worth it to me. You have a finals contender right now. Why are you why would you blow it up and give up? All that unprotected first round picks, all those pick swaps, when you can continue to build on what you have already, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I, I really think for a guy that's had health issues over the last couple of years, I mean, the guys struggle to stay healthy at times. I, I know how talented, talented he is and how much of a difference maker he is when he's healthy. But the, the key phrase there is when he's healthy. Guy hasn't stayed healthy, you know consistently over the last couple of years. So I don't see a reason for KD to go to Boston. I don't see a reason for Boston to make a move for KD. It just seems silly to blow up what you have in a finals contender, a good core um, to, to build around moving forward and continue making moves to, to um, eventually win an NBA title. Because I think that if they continue on the track that they're on right now, they eventually will. But making this move for KD, I think will be a, really crucial step back for the Boston Celtics. Yeah. I think first off more often than not, uh, when you look back on history, like these types of moves don't usually pay off for the team that acquires no. the big player. Like they normally don't, sometimes they will, uh, but typically they don't. Uh, and I'm with you there. It feels like Boston's at the beginning of their championship window, right? Like not at the end where you should feel desperate to make a move for a player like a Kevin Durant. And don't get me wrong. Kevin Durant is a fantastic player. When healthy, he is better than Jalen Brown, like easy, like that is fine. We can agree to that. But when you're looking ahead at the next three to five years, your championship window of two to three or even more, 
what is a better situation than you for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I think you're right to blow this up after a great successful rookie season as a head coach for Ime Udoka. You're getting these guys gelling. Uh, you've got a great uh, camaraderie, it seems, to pull off what they did in the second half of that season, to come back from where they were uh, at the All-Star break to finish the season the way that they did. Uh, that has to take chemistry. That has to take a great locker room and a great, uh, you know, dynamic between players and coaches. And so to mess with that seems ill-advised. And I'm with you there. Uh, I would draw the line if I'm Boston at Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. I would not include those. But if it was Jalen Brown, Derek White, Grant Williams, and a couple firsts, I would think about it. I would think I can understand exploring that. Uh, but I, I am in agreement with Boston as far as no Brown Smart combo for KD. That is just you're asking for trouble there. Uh, you're giving up way too much there. Uh, not just on the court, but off the court leadership, you know, camaraderie, et cetera. Uh, but uh, an, an interesting spot in KD is seems like the destinations continue to shrink up uh, for Kevin Durant. It seems more and more likely as days pass uh, that he ends up back in Brooklyn. I mean, it just, I mean, just look at the, just look at the Rudy Gobert trade and how much that reset the market. You yeah. know, KD is going to be worth a king's ransom to get. As so he like, should be. It, it's 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 fine to explore it and see what it could happen. You know what what the possibly the price tag would be on KD. It's not going to be worth it in the long run. You yeah. have you 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 just have to hang on to what you got right now because man, you're really close. You were right there. You were you were in the finals. You took the Warriors six games. You have to be. You have to hang on to what you got. You just took the best team in the NBA to six games. You're right there. You're right on the precipice of it. Don't blow it up just yet. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what uh, happens with this Kevin Durant situation as that continues. Uh, part of that reporting by Sham Sharania uh, of the Athletic uh, in that Kevin Durant uh, reporting was uh, some additional information about Donovan Mitchell and potential suitors uh, that have joined the Knicks in the pursuit. Uh, it seems basically at this point the Jazz understand what the Knicks offer is going to be, and they're not satisfied with it. So they are exploring other options. And the six teams that Sh- Shams uh, Sharania named specifically as teams that are interested in Donovan Mitchell and have reached out for trades are the Washington Wizards, the Miami Heat, the Toronto Raptors, the Charlotte Hornets, the Sacramento Kings, and the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, some interesting names in this list, Mitch. What sticks out to you of these six teams? Is there any destination here that you think is really intriguing for a potential Donovan Mitchell trade? Um, Atlanta would be really intriguing. Um, yeah, what is that? I mean, they just traded for DeMarco Murray. Or DeMarco Murray. <laughs> the running back for the, <laughs> for the Cowboys Dejante. and Eagles? <laughs> yes, that guy. DeJounte Murray. Wow, that was a good one. Uh, I mean, so like, what are they, are they involving him? Are they trading Trey young? Are they like deploying three all-star guards at once? Like, what would that even look like for Atlanta? I don't don't know. That just doesn't, I just don't see a world where that happens, but it's, I mean, it's intriguing that they're reaching out. The other one's the Sacramento Kings. Um, and I, and I think that, look, they need a star guy. They haven't had a star player there in a long time, probably since Chris Weber, I would say. It's the last time they had like a really big star in Sacramento. Um, I don't. They're they're gonna have to give up, you know, guys like Deer and Fox. They're gonna have to get, you know, they're gonna have to give up the key guys that they've been trying to and have failed at building around over the last 
you know, five, six years that they're going to have to give those guys up that are, that are cornerstone pieces. So um, it's intriguing to me that those teams even reached out. I think that Sacramento could probably put something together to get Donovan Mitchell, but does that really help them in the long run? Because you have one guy there and then basically a bunch of nothing about them. I don't know. I don't know how that fits. Yeah, it is. Uh, Sacramento is an interesting one uh, because, you know, you bring up De'Aaron Fox and yeah, the logical thing is he'd have to be involved, but the jazz have pretty much made it clear that they don't want big contracts. They want r- rookies, young players, and they want draft capital. Uh, they don't want RJ Barrett from the New York Knicks because he's up for a contract extension and they don't want to pay him 25, $30 million a year. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they'd be interested in De'Aaron Fox. But then if you're Sacramento, I mean, you're probably not involving Keegan Murray is no, hell no. Davion Mitchell and Harrison Barnes. And like, what, like what else could you really put together? And your next six besides, years of draft because, picks. Yeah. Right, besides just draft capital, that would really be interesting to the jazz. And then, uh, you know, if Donovan is reportedly not happy in a quote unquote small market like Salt Lake, is he going to be any happier in Sacramento? You know what right. I mean? Like that is not a better situation. So that that one seemed interesting to me. The one uh, Miami is a is a no brainer that they've been involved that that uh, no surprise there. The one that interests me the most, Mitch, because they've also been reported in interest in Kevin Durant is the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen this Toronto franchise make moves for stars in the past, like Kawhi Leonard, and it paid off in a NBA Finals run, right? They have shown interest in Kevin Durant. Uh, Part of that hangup is they don't want to get, they they don't want to move off of Scotty Barnes, uh, who's a second-year player. So what, uh, you know, what the OG Ananobi, Gary Trent, Fred Van Vliet, like what's the package, Uh, you know? But that is an interesting one for me if, they strike out on Kevin Durant if the price is too high for Kevin Durant, but they could get Donovan Mitchell and it's OG Gary Trent, you know, and all these picks that would be the one that I could think is really interesting. Cause Donovan Mitchell on a team with Scotty Barnes and Pascal Siakam, the type of defense around him would really kind of mask what he does poorly, which is defense and allow him to be that offensive threat. Uh, Toronto would be an interesting fit for Mitchell as a player. Uh, it just kind of depends on what they'd have to give up for him. But uh, much like the Kevin Durant thing, there just doesn't seem like a lot of spots for these guys. And as you pointed out, it's in large part because of the Gobert trade. I mean, that set the price so high that nobody is willing to meet these demands. And so I think it's a game of chicken at this point. Uh, who's going to call who's bluff at this point? Is Who's desperate enough to make a move for one of these guys? Or do we see Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell back in their respective jerseys at the start of next season? You know, time will tell. But uh, at this point, it's a lot of uh, sitting and waiting to see, but certainly some interesting things to speculate about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Mitch, final bit of news things here before we wrap up this uh, part of this segment. Uh, Some MLB news since we've last uh, recorded. Uh, Juan Soto, the young star for the Washington Nationals, uh, rejected a $440 million contract offer and is reportedly uh, being shopped, or at least uh, the Nationals are listening to offers for Juan Soto. Uh, Soto turned down a 15-year, $440 million offer. would have been the largest contract in baseball history. But he doesn't want to play for the Nationals, and I don't blame him. You look at how they played this year. It hasn't really been great for them. Uh, it... it 
some of the reported teams, you know, a lot of the NL, NL West, obviously Padres, Dodgers, Giants, uh, Mariners, Yankees, uh, Guardians. I mean, those are just some of the teams that have reportedly shown interest uh, in Juan Soto. Uh, I, I don't know. Do you feel like we got a couple of days left on this, right? As the trade deadline rapidly approaches, do you think he's dealt? And if so, who do you think is the most likely destination? There, there are three teams that stick out in my mind. One, the New York Yankees, because you always have to keep them in consideration when it comes to taking a big name. Always have to keep them in consideration. I think the Yankees are definitely one that could make a move. Number two, your Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, Dodgers, known for getting big names at the trade deadline. Um, I, They have plenty of, plenty of capital to deal back, whether that's... Um, you know, cash considerations and and players. I mean, uh, I think a, I think a name in that deal that would be part of it. And I know you're going to hate to say it because I know you love you're going to hate to hear it because I know you really like this guy. But Dustin May would probably be one of the guys that are included in that deal. Yeah. Uh, Washington is starving for arms right now. So that would probably be a name that would be involved in that deal. But don't count out the San Diego Padres. Mm. This is a really good team that has been really close the last couple of years and then have fallen off in the second half of the season. And they've continued to play well so far uh, through the all-star break. I think that if they really want to make a push, th- this is the guy that need to go make an offer for it and go all in, go all in and just say, Hey, look, I'm, we're going to get Juan Soto. We may not be able to retain him past two years, but we're gonna go. We're gonna go make a make a push and get a World Series here because this is a team that has been so close in the past and so and close to playoff runs in the last couple of years that I think that the San Diego Padres are gonna be a serious player in this. Um, it's probably gonna involve like guys like Mackenzie Gore um, and C.J. Abrams. You know, those those guys are probably gonna be involved in that trade, but I think that's well worth it. Um, to to get a guy like Juan Soto, a huge bat, huge glove, great arm in the outfield. Um, don't count out the Padres when it comes to the trade deadline on August 2nd when it comes to Juan Soto. Yeah, I think the Padres are a good one there, Mitch. And obviously the Yankees and the Dodgers at the top, I mean, they make sense. But just think of it from this perspective, right? The Dodgers and the Yankees uh, have their best records in their respective uh, leagues right now. Uh, they probably feel pretty secure in where they're at in their division. Uh, their seasons are going well. Right. And the Padres are having a good year, but they are 11 and a half games back of the Dodgers right now in the NL West. Uh, Yes, they are going to be in the playoff mix, but they're not where they would expect to be a team that has had high standards and who uh, had a disappointing season last year. So that would be the type of team to me. And I'm right there with you that would feel desperate enough to make a move for Juan Soto. Say we need this guy to take us over the edge. We need to make a splashy move to boost us in the second half of the season. Uh, and willing to pay that price to do it. They have the farm system and the talent there to be able to meet, uh, you know, whatever Washington would want in return. So uh, I think the Padres are a sneaky one there. I, I, I'm with you as well. I mean, obviously, it would not surprise me if he became a Los Angeles Dodger. This is the MO. It was it was Max Machado. It was you, Darvish. It was Trey Turner. It was, I mean, come on. You could just like year after year after year, they make a move. Uh, at the trade deadline, we've seen it. So is it is it Juan Soto this year? Who knows? They have the they can fit him on with Trey Turner and all the. Con- I mean, that's that's the crazy thing is they can do it. So we'll see. But I, I think the Padres are a good sneaky one there, Mitch. I like that. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of news on the XFL, which is returning 
in 2023 with new uh in, in new new ownership right you got you got the rock involved now in the xfl exciting stuff and they've announced uh three new cities uh five holdover cities and three new locations uh for teams in the 2023 season those three new coming markets are las vegas orlando and san antonio they will join arlington texas houston st louis seattle and washington dc uh, as the eight locations for the xfl uh the league dropped new york los angeles and tampa bay uh those markets had the three lowest average attendance figures during the 2020 season that the xfl last played uh three teams in texas makes sense football is very popular there uh i i I like san antonio vegas orlando this seems like good markets uh for the xfl and you know you see the usfl just wrapped up they've had you know i've seen dozens of players get signed to NFL teams and have opportunities here. Uh, And that's what you hope to see from any of these leagues moving forward is just producing future NFL players and contributors is what's going to keep these uh, leagues sustainable. Uh, And so hopefully the XFL can do that to a more entertaining degree. That's going to be more the, the, the motivation there uh, different than what the USFL is doing right now, Uh, but exciting for the XFL and we'll see how 2023 goes for them. Very smart of them. If they wanted to be a feeder league to the NFL, to attack the markets that the NFL don't have pegged already. Yep. Um, you know, the NFL has Los Angeles. It has New York. It has yep. Tampa Bay. Right. They don't have, I mean, they have Las Vegas, but they don't have that Orlando. That is new still, though. Yeah, and they don't have Orlando. They don't have San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Get those markets that are going to make you a true minor league system to the NFL, which is kind of what the XFL has said already they kind of want to be, right? They want to... They want to give these guys a second chance at it and give them the opportunity to develop to maybe eventually get that NFL contract. Um, I love I love what the XFL is doing. I think The Rock is doing a very good job of managing this league. I think that um, you know, we're going to see the XFL really move from just – not just an entertainment aspect, right? Like the WWE is like, they're, they're going to be a legitimate football league. And I, and I'm, I'm kind of excited to see that. So, um, I very smart to attack the markets that aren't already dominated by the NFL. And I expect them to make more smart moves like that. Um, just based off the track record of the way they've managed this since COVID. Cause remember they, you know, they, they started and then COVID hit. And yep. they kind of just got shut down. So and it seemed and, and, you know, and I mean, it's hard. It was a couple of years ago, but it seemed at the time at that start, it was having a successful start. It felt exciting. I think people had interest in what the XFL was doing uh, in those first couple of weeks. But as you mentioned, just five weeks into that season, COVID, uh, you know, canceled it. And then the league went bankrupt. So it's a big reset for them. And that is tough to come back from. But uh, we trust The Rock, right? I mean, he's in movies. He has to be trustworthy. In, so. rock, in rock, we trust. And Rock, we trust. Future United States President President Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That's uh, we would all vote for him. I'm just saying, like if he ran, we would all vote for him. I don't know if that says we're smart or dumb, but we would all vote for him. Okay. What's that? Uh, what's that SNL skit? Whereas uh, Dwayne Rock is uh, or um, uh, Will Armisen. Armisen? Is that is how you say his name? Will Armisen? Which one? Was, uh, and from SNL, he like would um, play like Barack Obama, right? And then when he would get angry, he would turn in the Rock Obama. And then it was Dwayne Johnson in like a ripped up t- like suit 
and he was the Rock Obama. So like, I, I'd vote for him. I'd vote. For He's him. already got the presidential pedigree. Is what you're saying? He's yeah. basically already there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There you go. All right, I love it. Uh, <laughs> officially endorsed here on the Sports Hour podcast. Uh, Mitch, last bit of news. Uh, some Na- a NASCAR update for the folks with a just a strange occurrence. Uh, last week at Pocono uh, that resulted in a Chase, Chase Elliott win as the top two finishers were DQ'd. Explain this to the people. Explain what happened here. Yeah, so um, great race at Pocono. Chase Elliott gets the win, but he didn't cross the line first. And let me explain. So the top two finishers, Denny Hamlin, who actually finished first, Kyle Busch, who finished second, uh, were found after the race having a piece of tape underneath the vinyl of their car. Now they do laser inspection with these brand new cars now. So everything is very detailed and down to the thousandth of an inch. Um, and they found an unapproved adjustment to the body of the car, which was a clear piece of tape. Um, and in a, uh, statement from Wally Brown, who is the director of competition for Joe Gibbs racing, which is who Hamlin and Bush both race for. He said, In a review of the post-race infractions on the 11 and 18 cars at Pocono, it was discovered that a single piece of clear vinyl was positioned over the lower corners of the front fascia ahead of the left front and right front wheel openings on both cars. The added pieces were two inches wide, five and a half inches long, with a thickness of .012 inches and installed under the wrap, the wrap being the vinyl that you see the paint scheme on. This change in our build process was not properly vetted with our organization, and we recognize it's against NASCAR's rules. We apologize to everyone for this mistake, and we have made changes to our processes to ensure that it does not happen again. Again, from Wally Brown from Joe Gibbs Racing, director of competition. Um, Look, there is no way we could even quantify if that gave them a competitive advantage, right? It's it's a literally a piece of tape, two by five and a half, twelve thousandths of an inch thick. There's no way we could t- we could tell that. But NASCAR has been very clear with this new car that comes from a single manufacturer, right? They have different manufacturers on the front of the cars: Toyota, Chevy, Ford, but it comes from a single company that. We're going to really crack down on guys that are trying to make adjustments because the, you know, unapproved adjustments, trying to get around the rules because it's very clear what everyone is doing. And it, and it goes against what NASCAR is trying to do. NASCAR did this move with the new car to make sure that these lower budget teams can't compete and that we don't have this huge discrepancy between Joe Gibbs Racing and Spire Motorsports. You know, everything's kind of leveled out. The competition's a lot higher. Um. So the the rules are pretty black and white, and I stand by I stand by NASCAR with their decision to strip the guy strip the guys of their win because it's it really is comes down to think about it like this: if the speed limit is 45, and a cop pulls you over and he gives you a ticket for going 46, did you break the law, or? Are you going to be pissed that he didn't give you some leeway because, you know, oh, well, I was within a mile an hour of the of the speed limit. That's kind of the way you have to put at it as as as, yeah. as shitty and and, you know, 
ticky tacky as it seems, they broke a rule. And Joe Gibbs chose not to appeal the ruling because they, they knew they probably weren't going to win it. So yeah. they chose not to appeal it. They took the, they took the, uh, took the penalty. Um, and Chase Elliott, who crossed the line third, wound up being the winner. I stand by NASCAR on the rules. I think they made the right decision here. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that they're making a really clear stance on like, look, knowing the history of the sport where cheating was not only celebrated, but almost kind of encouraged to, to find a way to get a little bit of an edge on your competitor. Like right now that, that those days are gone right now. And we're, we're in this new era of kind of more of an F1 IndyCar style where everything is very, very meticulously analyzed. Um, fun fact about this. Um, this is the first time that a win disqualification has happened since 1960, 62 years ago. That was Emmanuel Zervakis, who won at Wilson Speedway, was stripped because of an oversized gas tank. And Joe Weatherly wound up winning that race. Even more crazy, this is the first time since 1955 at West Palm Beach Speedway that the top two finishers have been disqualified for unapproved adjustments. Joe Weatherly, who won up, wound up winning the race in the race in 1960, he was the winner disqualified for an unapproved camshaft. And Joe Reed was disqualified for unapproved valve, engine valve adjustments. Um so that was the last time the top two were disqualified in a race. That was in 1955. So wow, um, a, a historic moment, a necessary one, I think. And I think this sets a big message to the rest of NASCAR that, hey, we're not screwing around when it comes to the specs that are going to be analyzed and held to a very black and white standard when it comes to car inspections. Yeah, and that's certainly what it feels like. And you can understand from NASCAR's perspective why they would – uh, come down on this specific incident so hard, as you as you mentioned, uh, you know, the, sort of the leveling of the playing field, the idea that it is about the the driver now and that and that advantage there, not their your vehicle or any sort of advantage in that well, way. It, it makes sense that they would, would sort of, you know, make a statement, punish these guys and say, listen, now we all know. Right now, it's very clear. No one's getting away with this. So so if there's any question in the future, if anyone tries to, you know, it's clear what the stance is. Uh, and you kind of have to do that when you make an adjustment, when you're trying to emphasize something. So you understand where NASCAR is coming from there. And, uh, you know, uh, history being made, as you mentioned, there is a precedent, but a very, <laughs> a long one at that, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I said, like we have no way of knowing if this actually gave them a competitive advantage. My guess, probably not. I don't think it really gave them any sort of aerodynamic advantage at all. But the rules are the rules. And if, if NASCAR wants to – if NASCAR really wants to push this new era into full effect and really have it be successful, they have to be staunch in their ruling. And and they were this weekend at Pocono. Yeah, for sure. All righty, Mitch. Great stuff there in the NASCAR update. That's going to do it for the news. We're going to – let's take a break here. And hit a mid-roll. And when we come back on the other side, we'll do some top fives and some NFL superlatives. There you go. A little teaser for you. So stick around.
and we'll be right back. Thanks for checking out the Sports Hour today. We appreciate you wherever you're listening, but if you haven't already, we recommend you check us out and give us a listen on Anchor. Anchor allows us to provide the best product to you. You can go support the Sports Hour and become a permanent part of the show, like my saint of a mother, Sammy, and my father, David, did. You can even leave us voice messages with your thoughts and opinions that we can use on the show. Prove to us that you know better than me and Mitchmo. Moral of the story, people, be more like Sammy and David. Go find us at anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys, and become a part of the conversation. What the hell are you waiting for? Welcome back in to the second half of the sports hour with Mitchmo and Dallin. We hope you enjoyed your little break here. We're going to jump right back into this thing because we got a couple top fives for you. We got some NFL superlatives. Beefy second half of the show coming at you. But, Dallin, let's start with our top fives. And last week, I uh, I did a top five that was very, very close to the heart for me, right? I, I have a special place in my heart for special teamers. And uh, if you haven't checked out that article, by the way, on sportshourguys.wordpress.com. Make sure you go ahead and give that a read. But I love special teamers. Kickers are people too. And you know who also are people too? Punters. Punters <laughs> are people too. And that's why on this week's edition of Mitch Moe's Top 5 List of the Week, we're going to be doing the top five punters of all time. Let's go. I, you know, I, Kickers, there were a bunch of guys that came to my mind immediately. Punters, not so much. I didn't just get flooded with like names of guys. So I am gonna be really interested to see what your top five looks like. They they get disrespected. They get disrespected because they're the they're the quirky guys, right? They sit back there, they kick the ball hard, kick the ball hard, go home, get snow cone. Well, right? punts are bad, right? Field goals are good. It's points. If like extra points, awesome. But like punts mean that like your offense failed. So, you know, you just don't even want to think about the punter. You're just going to move on. So I get it. It's a tough it. spot. It's a tough spot for him, but they deserve it's a very they deserve tough credit. Spot. They deserve some credit. Let's couple, go. Let's hear a couple honorable mentions before we get going. Uh, Reggie Roby, um, Gerald Wilson, Andy Lee. And I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out my boy, Pat McAfee, who I think <laughs> and quite honestly, I mean, people forget this guy had a boomstick for a leg. Um, right. Was a kicker in college for West Virginia, um, was drafted to be a punter and did not know how to punt. So like he had to learn how to punt on the fly. I think he only played eight years. And funny thing about Pat was, you know, he didn't intend on playing in the NFL for a long time. Like that was never his plan coming out of college. He, he had too many other aspirations uh, to play 20 years in the NFL. So I don't think we would have ever seen that happen. But had he played the, the lengthy career that a lot of punters do, we may be looking at a top five punter of all time, just purely based off talent. I mean, Pat McAfee had an absolute boomstick for a leg. Yeah. Um, well, he's so a he, top five podcast host, that's for sure, at this point. Uh, I mean, if you haven't checked out his content, <laughs> it, it, his stuff is <laughs> he's, fantastic. He's pretty good at it. Yeah. Go listen to the Pat McAfee show. Uh, the Pod is another very funny uh, podcast they do under night, underneath uh, the Pat McAfee umbrella. So go ahead and check that out. But anyway... I digress. Let's get into the list. Number five on the list, uh, we're going to go with Sammy Baugh. Now, Sammy Baugh was a guy that I saw as high 
on as number two on the list. Um, wow. Uh, that was according to BleacherReport.com. Here's the problem I have with Sammy Ball. Is he wasn't just a punter. He was a safety and also a quarterback. So yeah, like I'm like, and he you was said Sammy Baugh, and my first thought was, you mean the quarterback? Yeah, he was <laughs> slinging Sammy Baugh, right? That was yeah. his nickname. Um, he was better at quarterback and safety than he was a punter. So like, granted, the versatility gives him some merit here. Um, he did lead, he as a sign of his versatility, by the way. In 1943, he did lead the league in passing, punting, and defensive interceptions all in the same year. Um, <laughs> quite a different era in the NFL oh, uh, back in the 1940s. Even more impressive, um, in 1940, he set the season, uh, the single season record for average yards per punt at 51.4, which still stands today. So, wow. Um, the, the guy was a very impressive punter. He just happened to be a better safety and quarterback, so I could not put him higher than five on the list. But shout out to Slinging Sammy Ball. Have to put have to put him somewhere on here. He had eleven interceptions in nineteen forty three. I mean, they they were he had interceptions, eleven interceptions and he threw for twenty three touchdowns in nineteen forty three. That's incredible. That's awesome. Revolu- he was a revolutionary in, in football. I mean, the guy was a, an incredibly talented football player. Um, not just for his era, but overall as an athlete. Sammy Baugh has to get recognition uh, on this list. Number two on the list, I'm going to go to a name that I'm sure you recognize from your early days as an NFL fan, but Sean Landetta. Yeah, um, yeah. Probably you. we knew him more for playing for the New York Giants, which he did for a long time, um, and then once again came back to the Giants at the end of his career. Uh, ended his career with 1,401 punts, over 60,000 yards, almost 61,000 yards in punt yards, 300 and 381 punts, good for second in each category in league history. Um, he was also the last remaining member of the USFL to be active, the, pri- oh. the prior USFL to remain active, yeah. when he retired in 2008 after a 25-year career. Wow. Sean Landetta um, – an Iron Man of football, um, an Iron Man of a kicker, um, part of two Super Bowl winning teams, um, both with the Giants at completely different eras, 1990 and 2007. So, wow. like, <laughs> the guy the guy had been around, and he had seen a lot of football in his life. So, Sean Landetta, you have to put, uh, have to put in your top five list. That's a great one. A guy I remember drafting in like Madden 05, you know, you play franchise mode. That was one of the punters that you could that you give it Sean Landetta. So special shout out to him. Number three on the list. I'm going to go with Jeff Fiegels, another mm. old name you might recognize. Um, he never really put up the big numbers that you would expect someone to put up from a punter. He averaged 41.9 yards per punt in his career. But what made him so special was he was an absolute savant in in coffin corner. I mean, this guy just he could put the ball wherever the hell he wanted to put it. And that's what separated him from the rest of the field. He wasn't the boomstick that you're looking for. But, man, he could pin someone back inside the five or the 10 yard line. Uh, whenever the hell he wanted. In fact, he holds the record for most punts within the 20 yard line at 554 in his career. Wow. Um, 
<laughs> he was also one of the most durable athletes in sports history, playing at 1.352 games in a row. That's a league record. Um, and he retired at 44 years old after playing 22 years in the league. Um, Jeff Fiegel's an Ironman, a marksman. He has to be on this list, and he's sitting here at number three. Wow, there you go. Uh, number two. Get, I, I feel a lot of pressure on these top two now. Now, number two, which I think a lot of people would put at number one, but I have him at number two. Uh, number two is Ray Guy. Ray Guy, Hall of Famer. He was the only punter ever selected in the first round of the draft. He was selected in the first round by the Oakland Raiders in the 1973 draft. Um, and he, I mean, he had one of the best special teams careers of all time. Um, three time, he led the league's three, he led the league three times in punting average, which with the array of punters that go through the league is exceptionally hard to do to lead it that many times. Um, it was a seven time selection for the pro bowl and also was a part of the 75th anniversary team and also the 100th anniversary team. Um, he also has some legend to him. Um, he hit the roof of the Superdome with a kick one time. Um, not joking. He actually hit the roof <laughs> of the Superdome with a kick one time. And even an opposing coach commandeered one of Ray Guy's practice balls and had it checked for helium. Oh That's goodness. how big of a leg this guy had. He had the <laughs> ball checked for helium. Um, Ray, Guy, Ray Guy also now has an award named after him. The college's best punter of the year wins the Ray Guy Award. So uh, Ray Guy, if you have an award named after you, you have to be in the top five list. Um, and with the legend behind this, with, with I, behind him, he has to be on here. But he's not number one. He's not number one. He's not number one. And number one is a guy that I watched growing up. I know he has a big leg, and that's Shane Leckler. Shane Leckler gets the number one slot on here. Um, Look, when I said Pat McAfee had a boomstick, Shane Leckler had a boomstick from another planet. Um, Drafted in 2000, he kind of redefined of what it meant to be a great punter. Um, Right now, currently sitting at 47.6 yards per punt. Um, I believe he's... I believe he's still playing in his 22nd season. This will be his 22nd season coming up. Um, and I think one, one of the things that really just comes to mind, and I, I remember watching this punt happen, was he blasted like an 80-yard punt. I, even, I don't even remember where they were hitting, like, but it went 80 yards and then landed. It was like they were on their own 10 and it landed on the opposing team's 10. It was it was just something incredible that I, 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 I've never seen since. and I don't think I'll ever see again. Shane Leckler is just from a different planet. Um, like I said, he's redefined of what a great punter really is. And, you know, I think when it's all said and done, him and Ray Guy, you're probably going to have a, a lifelong discussion about who the greatest punter of all time is. Uh, but for me, Shane Leckler gets the slide edge. I love it. It's a great list, my friend. Let's run through five through one one more time for the listeners. Number five, Slingin' Sammy Baugh. Number four, Sean Landetta. Number three, Jeff Fiegels. Number two, Ray Guy. And number one, we're going Shane Leckler. There you go. 
All righty. You've covered kickers. You've covered punters. I, do you I got, dare do top five long snappers of all time? Oh, I mean, no, come no, on. No, no. <laughs> no. Uh, they're, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty obscure. They're pretty obscure, <laughs> but I, I don't think I can go that far, but I will say we do have one more special teams category coming up. So I will, I will tease at that, that we do have one oh. more special teams category coming up. So, and well, that spoiler, it's not field goal holders. So we're, we're, <laughs> We're not doing that. That's just a list of the best backup quarterbacks of all time, essentially. Which know? we've done before, I believe. So, I, 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 yeah, you actually, yes, you you have done that. That's, uh, that's great. Great stuff, as always, Mitch, uh, in the top five. And uh, I've got a top five this week. This uh, beginning of training camp has me excited for this upcoming NFL season. Uh, fall camp for the college football world begins here in the first week of August, so next week. So not only is the NFL uh, at our doorsteps, but the college football season is at our doorsteps. And where those two things collide, Mitch, a place where I live 24-7, 365, the NFL draft. Uh, I am grinding. I am consuming. I am encompassed by the NFL draft all the time. And so it's not too early to look ahead at next April. Oh, no. And I decided, Mitch, I'm going to get in before everybody else, because you'll start seeing in the next couple weeks here, 2023 NFL draft stuff, top prospects this season, guys start to stake claims on on certain players, who's going to break out. I thought I'd get ahead of everybody here on July 27th. And I've got a top five of Five of my guys, five of my guys in the 2023 NFL draft, five different prospects that right now are, they're all considered anywhere in the first round to the top 100 prospects coming into this next season. Uh, There's varying opinion on a number of these guys, uh, but they are all, you know, going to be drafted, but I believe that they're going to be some of the best at their positions. They could all be first round picks. They could all have huge seasons and be right there at the top uh, when it comes to the NFL draft in April. So my top five is the five, my five of my, I'm going to say five of my guys. Cause I've got more than this, but we'll start here with five, my guys for the NFL draft in 2023. All right. I had to, I'm going to say this off the top. Uh, I had, to, I had to keep some of my BYU guys off here. I'm not going to lie. Like my boy, Jaron Hall, as I already talked about him and the quarterback, so he's not, I'm not going to mention him again, but he's certainly a my guy here. I've got a couple others, but uh, I'm excited to talk about some of these prospects and uh, players who I think are going to be huge. And we'll start off, Mitch, with uh, the running back position. And this draft is going to be a great draft for running back. Bijan Robinson, the Texas running back, uh, Tank Bigsby, the Auburn running back, but a guy who I've had my eye on since last season. Zach Charbonnet, the running back out of UCLA, uh, the Bruin, former Michigan Wolverine, considered entering the draft as a junior last uh, last season, a couple months ago, but decided to return for one more season at UCLA. Uh, right now, he's RB7, according to Mel Kuyper, in the 2023 draft. PFF has him as RB9 and number 90 overall prospect on their big board. Uh, had 700 rushing yards as a freshman at Michigan, transferred to UCLA in last season, racked up 203 carries, 
1,100 rushing yards and 13 touchdowns would have been anywhere in the third to fifth round range last year. And, 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 and seeing how the running back class played out, right? We didn't have a first round running back, a couple guys early in the second, and then a gap. He could have maybe been in that third round, fourth, fifth, somewhere in that range. So it decides to come back. What I like about Char, uh, Charbonnet, he's got a he's got a great build. He's got the size, the physical run style that you'd want. 6'1", 220, runs about a 4'440". Not the fastest guy. Uh, doesn't have the elusiveness, the breakaway speed of a lot of guys. Uh, but just is a great, just, just solid running back. I don't think he does anything elite, but he has a great all-around skill set. And the <laughs> one thing I'm most excited about and I hope gets highlighted this year at, at UCLA in this final season, and probably a large part of why he came back, is the receiving ability. Uh, didn't show any of that at Michigan, but last season, 24 receptions in 12 games to a game. That's pretty good for a college running back. And I'd expect to see that improve as that's sort of the one glaring weakness in his game uh, hasn't really shown much as a pass catcher. And that obviously is so essential uh, to be a running back in the NFL and just to be drafted highly. You have to have that skill set. If you don't, you're not going to be uh, selected very early. But I believe in Charbonnet. I think he will be a, a very solid NFL running back. If he adds the pass catching game, if he shows that off this season, I think he could be a top 50 player uh, in one of those top, in that conversation with those top running backs, probably not a first rounder, like maybe B. John Robinson and Bigsby and some of those other guys could be, uh, but certainly in that top five mix. So there's my first one for you. Zach Charbonnet running back uh, out of UCLA. I love it. I love it. We're going to stick on the offensive side of the ball here, Mitch, and go with a wide receiver. Again, this is another great uh, wide receiver class. You had Jordan Addison coming over, uh, moving from Pitt to USC uh, to join Lincoln Riley. You've got uh, Jonathan Smith and Jigba, who absolutely lit up Utah in the Rose Bowl and will emerge. Uh, be a big name this season, but a wide receiver I'm very interested in, Mitch. Josh Downs. The wide receiver out of UNC, North Carolina. Wide receiver four for Mel Kuyper. Wide receiver seven for PFF in the 57th overall prospect on the PFF big board. Uh, last season as a sophomore, 101 receptions, 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns, uh, passing ca catching passes from Sam Howell. Uh, the big question this year for me is, what does that quarter pos quarterback position look like for the Tar Heels? Uh, expected that Drake May, former four-star recruit, highly touted kid out of high school, uh, would li is likely taking over that job. How does he acclimate? How does that affect Downs in this junior season? But he's likely gone. Uh, what I like about Downs, he's 5'10", a slight frame, not a big guy, but he's got that speed, 4'4 speed. He is great in space, elusive, run-after-catch ability. That is where he thrives, and that's just, just the kind of weapon that is interesting, the kind of weapon – that NFL teams fall in love with and, and, and covet higher uh, than maybe more productive uh, players in college. So Josh Downs is one I have an eye on. He's obviously productive already, but uh, another big season as a junior, he could see himself up there and again, has that skill set, the speed, the elusiveness uh, fits well in the modern game. So that's the wide receiver I'm most excited about this season. Josh Downs, the wide receiver out of UNC. It kind of has a slot build to him. Mm -hmm. 5'10", 171, like, I mean, yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, for sure. It definitely has that uh, Definitely has that slot build. I'm pausing here because I'm pulling up his snaps because I actually, uh -oh. I'm trying to see. Yeah. Uh, 
And you mentioned that well, Mitch, because he had 815 uh, snaps in the slot. So a slot wide receiver last year. And and maybe that's something interesting to see coming into the season uh, as he prepares for the NFL. Uh, does he get more snaps on the outside? Is he trying to show off? Hey, I could play on the outside as well. Or is he going to go into this as a slot receiver? If he does come into the draft as a slot only that won't help his uh, positioning, if you will, he'll probably go lower because of that. Uh, certainly will still be a productive player in my opinion. Uh, but a good, great note there, Mitch, uh, and something definitely to watch uh, next season for Downs. Let's go over to the defensive side of the ball, Mitch. And here's a player for you. A lot of Alabama guys get drafted, right? We know that. A lot of great Alabama players. In fact, the number one overall pick next year, if it's not a quarterback, it's going to be Will Anderson, the edge uh, linebacker out of, out of Alabama. He's a great player. But uh, another underrated player on this defense uh, who I think could have a case to be linebacker one in the draft class. Henry To'o To'o. Oh, yeah. The, for, the former Tennessee volunteer spent two seasons at Tennessee, uh, totaling 140 tackles in two seasons last year, a transfer to Alabama as a junior. Uh, and last season alone, 111 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, four sacks for To'o To'o. Uh, right now, Mel Kuyper has him as linebacker three in the draft class, uh, linebacker six for PFF and the number 69 overall prospect. Nice. Nice. What I what I like about To'o To'o, Mitch, is he's more of that. Uh, tra- I, I want I don't want to say like traditional linebacker, but he's not like a drop back in coverage kind of guy. Six two two thirty. Uh, he's a bigger guy. He's he's playing up around the line of scrimmage, and you saw that in the difference with Tennessee and the way that Alabama used him last year. Four sacks against seven and a half tackles for loss. Uh, attacking at the line of scrimmage. That's what you saw from him. And that's what I think NFL teams are going to like. Now, does that fit the modern NFL as much as other players? Uh, Maybe not, right? You look at like Fred Warner. He's not a Fred Warner type. Uh, He's a different type of linebacker, but I still think could be an extremely productive player, not only at the college level, uh, but at the NFL level as well. Uh, If he shows uh, better, better ability in pass coverage, uh, if he tests well and, and has that speed element to him uh, in the combine settings, I think that'll really help him. But a player I'm just very excited about. I think he has uh, the type of just the type of winning material to him uh, that that is going to do well at the next level uh, and certainly one of the best linebackers uh, to, that'll play this next season. If he gets better in the pass coverage, you know, who this screams is Brian Urlacher, big bodied inside linebacker. Okay. I mean, Brian Urlacher was a safety coming out of New Mexico yeah. and wound up being a big bodied middle linebacker. So if Henry To, I always get fumbled up on his last name. To'o To'o. Um, you just repeat it. It's, it's kind of. <laughs> um, if, if he can get better in the pass coverage situation stuff, that's a great big bodied inside linebacker that you could really, really uh, depend on uh, down the long run. I, I I love that you mentioned the Crimson Tide here. I love I mean, it. Easy to throw a Bama guy in there. As I said, uh, there will be many selected in the upcoming NFL draft as there are oh, sure. Uh, oh, sure. every season. Uh, Mitch, another defensive player for you. This guy along the defensive line, uh, Siake Ika, the defensive tackle nose tackle from the Baylor Bears. Uh, right now, the D-tackle three for Mel Kuyper, D-tackle four for PFF, the number 16 overall prospect for ESPN and the number 19 overall prospect for PFF. This guy is the is the highest on draft boards on my top five list, uh, but he is securely behind two guys at the very top of this interior defensive line class, and that is Jalen Carter 
out of Georgia, uh, who may be a top five pick of, as a defensive tackle, just an incredible prospect. Uh, and uh, Brian Brees, uh, the defensive tackle out of Clemson. But Siaka Ika sort of right in that next tier. Uh, but I believe that by the season's end, he will be in that tier with those guys. Uh, spent two seasons at LSU. In fact, his current head coach, Dave Aranda, was his defensive coordinator in 2019 on that national championship LSU team, a team in which a freshman Siaka Ika played 11 games, uh, got less playing time in 2020, entered the transfer portal, and joined Dave Aranda in Waco with the Baylor Bears last season, was the Big 12 Defensive Newcomer of the Year, 24 tackles, six tackles for a loss, three and a half sacks in that first season at Baylor. Now enters this season uh, with first-team Big 10 expectations, uh, obviously high draft expectations, a top 20 prospect for both ESPN and PFF at this very moment. Uh, For a nose tackle, that is very high. Uh, And the first name that comes to mind, and listen, this is very easy. Uh, You see a big Polynesian guy in the middle and you compare them all to each other. And and Vita Vea may be the easy comp here, but that's the style of player that we're talking about here, right? Not only is he a space eater, what I thought was most impressive uh, about Siake Ika last season was how much he played uh, in the pass rush, right? He wasn't just a stuff the run uh, sort of nose tackle. He had more, uh, he had almost, yeah, he had 230 running rushing snaps to 275 passing snaps. So he was in there uh, in pass rush situations, had three and a half sacks. I think we're going to see a bigger impact from him as he has a bigger role in this defense next season. Uh, and with that high expectations, uh, but I again, Siaka Ike is already up there in big boards. He's already expected to be a first rounder. But my expectation is that he was, he's going to put himself more in the conversation of Carter and Brees at the top of this board in that group than being maybe uh, in that next tier. So I'm very high on him, uh, Siaki Ika. Utah kid uh, from Salt Lake attended East High, the home of Troy Bolton. High school musical. That's where he went to high school. East high. Oh, there you go. Uh, was pursued by BYU in the transfer portal uh, when he entered back in 2021. That's when I got familiar with him. Uh, and then obviously he had a great year last year for Baylor. Um, quite honestly, actually, I, I, I learn a lot from you when it comes to college football. This is a guy I've heard of. And quite there honestly, Vita Vea was the first person that came to mind as well. A guy that likes to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage, you know, like he, he, he gets after it and he doesn't quite move like a 350 pounder should like you, yeah. you expect him to move a lot differently. And he's, and he's, and he doesn't move that way. So yeah, I love that. Love that on your list. The last name here on the top five, Mitch. Uh, and I did say that I left some BYU guys off, but I had to put one on here and, and I'm going to say this now. And I've, and I've said this on my show. And if you know me and you, you would know my coverage of BYU, you know this, but I'm very high on Jaron Hall, but there is a player on this BYU team. I am higher on this season. And when it comes to the NFL draft and that is offensive tackle, Blake Freeland, this is the guy. If you're going to pay attention to BYU this year and you want to know who's going to be the high, highest selected player from that school this year, it's Blake Freeland, the offensive tackle. Six foot eight, 300 pounds, Mitch. Yikes. Six foot eight, 305 pounds. A former high school quarterback. That's right. He was six foot eight what? playing high school quarterback at Harriman High School in Utah and playing at a high level. Now, a offensive tackle 
for the BYU Cougars uh, and one of the best offensive tackles in college football. Last season had the second highest pass block grade in college football, according to PFF. Right now, he is offensive tackle number three for ESPN, offensive tackle number four for PFF, the number 32 overall prospect for PFF. Uh, And what makes Blake Freeland so special? Not only has he been excellent at the college level, right? Uh, His pressure rate is extremely low. Uh, His passing, his grading is very high. Uh, He's going to be an All-American candidate. Like, he's that level of a player. Uh, Because of his frame and his athleticism, he is going to test like a monster in combine settings. At his his pro day at BYU and, and, and coming up in March, and if he gets into a combine setting, his testing number is going to be off the charts. His his 40 times going to be nuts. His three shuttle is going to be insane. Teams are going to see the athleticism there. And then they're going to see this giant man at six foot eight who still can put on some bulk like he could still put on some more. And they're going to they're going to become enamored in the in, in what seems like limitless potential for a guy with a unique frame and athleticism in Blake Freeland. And on top of all that. He plays defense. He plays tackle at an extremely high level. Like he's already a very good tackle. And you add uh, with that physical, uh, you know, the physical stature of what he could be. I think NFL teams are going to fall in love with this kid. I will. I'm going to say this right now. I will not. I I would not be surprised if he's the first tackle off the board. I really believe that. And there are some good offensive tackles coming up in this draft class. There always are. But you see the kids with his measurables. This talented don't come around very often. And you see in the NFL draft, teams covet unique skill sets and unique builds. We see it every year. The guys with the unique builds, the unique skill set, the long arms, the unusually, you know, long torsos or long legs, this extra competitive value. That's what teams covet. And I see Blake Freeland as the next guy in there. So that's my final guy in the top five here. Blake Freeland, the tackle out of BYU. Let me ask you. You want to go on the hill with that? Why not? Let's go. First tackle off the board in 2023. Yeah, let's do it. Why not? Put me on the hill. You got it. All right. I feel very strongly about that. And again, I don't, I don't just stick my neck out for, for, for anybody. Uh, I've watched this kid for a long time. And and again, just, you know, in the NFL, knowing the type of things that they covet, uh, he's got unlimited, uh, a lot of potential here. So top five, I'll repeat it for you guys one more time. The five of my guys in the 2023 NFL draft, a little way too early thing here in July. Uh, But Zach Charbonnet running back out of UCLA. Josh Downs, wide receiver out of North Carolina. Henry To'o To'o, linebacker out of Alabama. Siake Ika, the nose tackle out of Baylor. And Blake Freeland, the offensive tackle out of BYU. If there's a quarterback, Mitch, there's a quarterback who I consider a my guy this year, it would be Jaron Hall, which is why I didn't include uh, one. I, in mean, here. I, I, um, I wouldn't expect anything different from you. I wouldn't explain. There's a, I mean, there's, there's a couple quarterbacks that think could make that leap, but uh, he, he would be my guy. So I couldn't include him here. Uh, quarterback will be a fun one though. Like guys like Will Levis. Uh, I even think Devin Leary at NC state. Some of the guys that we already, yeah. As I say, Armstrong, Tawalia, Tonga Vailoa, some of the guys I already talked about on here. Uh, I all I think all have potential there. Uh, so I wanted to keep quarterback a little open there. But there you go, five of my guys for their top five. I love it. We might have to have a convers a, a quarterback a college football co- quarterback conversation here. We should. 
We should. We we, we should before the season starts. Uh, definitely like a top five ranking or you know some. Go by conference. A lot. Okay, I that could be interesting. Let's yeah. uh let's let's put that down. We got a month until the season starts. Uh, Labor Day weekend the the season will kick off, and for most of college football, we'll have a few games uh, the weekend before. But uh, we're closer to the college football season than we are the NFL. Uh, so sure. uh, that'll be coming up here quick, and then we'll have to bring back uh. Bring back the segment, the uh, the campus tour. The campus well, well, tour. I'm so might be excited making for the a, campus tour to come back. Have to be making a comeback here. There you go. Or it's almost oh, that time of year. So love I love it. college football, man. It's so much fun. So much fun. It's, oh. it was, it's, it's been fun to incorporate it more and more into the podcast throughout the last college football season. And obviously, we'll continue to do that here, uh, as you see. But uh, Mitch, to, to wrap up the podcast, we've got some NFL superlatives. So a little preview, a way for us to sort of talk about some teams, some players, uh, things that we're high on, things not so much. Uh, we've got some superlatives that we've come up with, and we'll just sort of go through these. And again, this the Megasode, the season preview, that'll be coming up here in about a month. Oh, Megasode. We will not forget about that. That's a staple. Uh, we, we will we will have that for you. But a, a chance to to begin a bit of our work here on this, Mitch. And let's start with what I what we're calling last to first, and that's going to be the team that finished last in their division in the past season, who's most likely to finish first in their division this coming season. Uh, and I'll let you go first here. Which uh, which team did you select for last to first? Look, to me, it was kind of easy to pick this one because of just how wide open the division really is. And that's the AFC West. And I went with the Denver Broncos. Okay. I think that like I think that every single one of those teams has a scenario where they could finish first. Like yeah. that's just how good that division is. And so I went with the Broncos. They were seven and ten last year. Actually we're in the positives and 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 point differential. The only team that was negative in the point differential was the Raiders, and they finished second in the division. <laughs> so like it, there there is definitely a world where Russell Wilson comes into Denver, has all those young pieces, those young weapons around him. They already have the good defense in place, and they go ahead and they they go out and they win the AFC West. So um, I think I had them coming in last in my way too early predictions, but like I said, in those way too early predictions, it's not going to surprise me if any one of these teams win the division. Like it, it's just not because that's how competitive it is. So I went with the Broncos here. Yeah, I think that was, uh, that was definitely one of two teams that I considered, uh, where th- was the Denver Broncos. And I think you're right, uh, right on there. But Mitch, the team that I went with was the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the Baltimore Ravens finished eight and nine last year, and the Cincinnati Bengals won the AFC North with a ten and seven record. And obviously, this season, uh, you know, health was the biggest reasons why Baltimore finished the way that they did. And even with all of the injuries they had, they still won eight games, which is incredible to think about. Uh, but obviously, you've got Mitchell Trubisky and/or Kenny Pickett in Pittsburgh, uh, so you'd expect a down year. Certainly not like playoff contender level year for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, we don't know the Deshaun Watson situation in the suspension yet, but likely going to miss a big chunk of games for Watson. So how good are the Browns going to be? So really, it's just between Baltimore and Cincinnati. And as great as Cincinnati is, and as great as they were last year, I think people are forgetting 
that they played one of the worst schedules. Strength of schedule last year was one of the easiest schedules. And this year they have one of the most difficult schedules in the NFL, mainly because you're a division winner. And when you're a division winner, your schedule is full of other division winners. When you're in the last place, your schedule is full of other last place teams. That's how NFL scheduling works. So last year when the Bengals had come off a last place season, they got to play a bunch of shitty teams and they beat them and they make the playoffs. And now they're going to have to play the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bucks and all these really good teams. It's going to make it a little more difficult. Meanwhile, the Ravens coming off that last place finish going to have a much easier schedule. And if you're healthy and your schedule is easy, it'll be pretty easy to win 10, 11 games, I think, for Baltimore. So the Ravens were the easy one for me as far as teams that were going to go from last to first. Yeah, I, I think that's totally just, totally just in saying that. I, I still think the Bengals are a little bit better for the team than the Ravens. But, I mean, there is nothing saying that the Ravens can't win that division by any means. Yeah. By any means. All right, next up, Mitch, uh, year two leap, uh, the year two player that's going to make a big jump in their second season. And we decided to take quarterbacks out of the equation here because the easy answers are Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin that's Fields. Way right? too like, easy. Those are the easy answers and justifiably so because we expect big years out of all of those guys. But besides quarterbacks, uh, who's going to make a leap? And interestingly enough, Mitch, we both went with the same position here but different players. Yeah, I went Devonta Smith here. Uh, I think yeah. the addition of A.J. Brown over there in Philadelphia um, is going to take a little bit of uh, concentration off of Devonta Smith and is going to open him up to a lot of things. Get You got to remember that Jalen Hurts did not have a whole lot to throw to last year, and Devonta Smith was kind of the de facto number one because yeah. of like the lack of talent at the wide receiver position for the Eagles last year. And it's tough to come into the league, be the wide receiver one as a rookie. So um, I went with Devonta Smith here. I think that he can make a big leap with a lot of uh, pressure taken off of him. Uh, someone else to attract a little bit of attention. Um, I'm not saying that he's going to blow up for like 1,500 yards, but, you know, he, he could be a thousand yard receiver um, if if put in the right situations. Yeah, I love that, Mitch. And I mean, we're talking about a guy who uh, even with you know, rookie struggles in, in a court in an offense that doesn't really help wide receivers, right? This was like the number one rushing offense in the league last year. Sure, so yeah. obviously like that's not ideal for a wide receiver, but he still had 916 receiving yards on 64 receptions, five touchdowns, 16 receptions of 20 plus yards. One of the best, uh, you know, one of the highest at that number, which is a good sign uh, and 105 targets. So 105 targets at 64 receptions, that target number is going to go up. That reception number will go up. And as a result, at least a thousand yards, probably 1200 plus. And I love your point about AJ Brown, right? That's going to help Devonte Smith. I, I I'm right there with you. That's going to help him get better targets, right? Better quality targets, right? He had 105 last year, but only 64 catches. A lot of that might be bad targets. They're going to be better this year. And I think that's going to help Devonte Smith out. I love that pick for you, Mitch. I went with another wide receiver, uh, second round pick last year. I'm going to go with Elijah Moore, mm. the wide receiver for the New York Jets. And, it, it, you know, the reason why I'm feeling Elijah, Elijah Moore here, I liked the connection between him and Zach Wilson last season when they played. The problem is that they didn't play very much together. Elijah Moore struggled staying healthy. Zach Wilson struggled staying healthy. And so we didn't get to see them play a ton, but I believe in that chemistry. I think that's a dynamic duo 
Uh, add to that a healthy Corey Davis and first-round pick Garrett Wilson. I think it's going to open up Elijah Moore for a lot of opportunity, especially in the slot. As a rookie last year, he had 43 receptions, 538 yards, and five touchdowns. So for me, that's why I see a big leap. 530 receiving yards. I mean, I'm thinking 900-plus this season for Elijah Moore. I think he could be very big for them. Uh, and uh, I, I'm I'm going to buy in on that opportunity, kind of like the same, a similar way to, to you with Devontae Smith, where bringing in another wide receiver, probably perceived as a more of an alpha wide receiver, it's going to open up these guys more and give them better opportunities in year two. Yeah, uh, no, 100%. That just, that, that so helps guys that aren't quite ready to be wide receiver ones that are just still just wide receiver twos. And like that so helps them in the long run. And so I, I feel I, I'm definitely on board with you uh, that that's going to help both Elijah Moore and Devonta Smith. Yeah. In a similar vein here, Mitch, we want to talk about emerging superstars. So these are a player who is already viewed as a pro bowler, already viewed as a really solid player, but hasn't made that jump to the elite tier. Right. Hasn't made that jump to this is one of those top five at his position level guys. So who's going to be the guy that at the end of the 2022 season, we say he made that jump. He made that I, jump to the elite tier. I mean, I think this guy was really, really close to it last year. I think he makes the full leap this year. I'm going Max Crosby. Yeah, I love that. D- defensive end from Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, this guy has been so close to making that leap. Um, and coming into his fourth season, a guy that's already recorded 25 sacks in his first three years. Uh, this guy is going to be someone that is going to be a constant threat on the defensive side of the ball, um, not just this next year, but for years to come. I think he is clearly uh, set to become a superstar, a top tier, a top three, top two defensive end in the NFL. I, I love Max Crosby this year. I love where you're thinking here, Mitch, because, again, it's like he had a fantastic year last year, but it was just one Right. If he can repeat that level of success or somewhere close to it well, this season, then I think we we then it's like, all right, he he's shown that consistency. He's made that leap. He's there. Well, and this is this isn't even his. Be- I mean, he he had a fantastic year last year. Sure. But the eight sacks and everything. But that's not even his career high in sacks. He had 10 sacks as a rookie, seven yeah. sacks in 2020, eight sacks last year. So like. Right. He has shown this progression and he's 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 had more assists and tackles for loss as the as his season has gone on and more quarterback actually last year compared to his first two years, 2019, 14 quarterback hits, 13 hits in 2020 on the quarterback, 30 quarterback hits last year. So right. he's getting to the quarterback more frequently, even when his sack total has dropped from his rookie right. year. So this guy is he's there. He's there. It, it's it's just that, you know, man, he just has to get there, but it, uh, just a millisecond sooner and he's getting, you know, 13, 14, 15 yeah. sacks a season. And I, I, Max, Max Crosby's that guy. I, I love we both went the same direction here. Uh, in fact, we both picked fourth year edge rushers. Uh, oh, guys that have been productive up until this point, but just need to have that full breakout season. But I went with and maybe this is a bit of a homer pick, but I went with Brian Burns. The former mm. first round pick out of Florida State for the Carolina Panthers had seven and a half sacks as a rookie, has had nine sacks in each of the past two seasons. Uh, but again, just just hasn't 
broken through fully, right? Just hasn't had that big monster season, well-respected. People know he's one of those up-and-coming guys, but he hasn't broke through the ceiling yet. But I think Brian Burns is poised for a big season, 12-plus sacks, 13-plus sacks, Pro Bowl. Like, you know, maybe you're in the defensive player of the year conversation for stretches of the season. You're playing that well. I think Brian Burns is poised for a breakout, much like Max Crosby. They've shown that consistency up until this point, right? Productive, someone to fear on the defense, but they haven't made that step to where the Miles Garrett's and the Cleo Max and uh, some of the, the Watt brothers and some of those other pass rushers have. Uh, Brian Burns is the guy that came to mind for me. I love Max Crosby for you. We're right in the same vein there. The one other player I wanted to mention here, uh, it was Javante Williams at the running back position. He split carries with Melvin Gordon last year, but I think he's gonna. I think they're gonna give him the full time full time move. And, and Russ at his best, Russ at his best had Marshawn Lynch eating up yards on a dominant run game that opened up everything in the pass game. That is Russell Wilson as best. So if you're Denver and you want to recreate that, give the rock to Javante Williams. He could take it. And I think he's poised for a big season. That at the end of it, we're looking at him in the top three, top five running back conversation. Javante uh, Williams is the other name that came to mind for me. You think a top three, top five running back conversation? I think he could be. They... I think he could be. I think if he gets the carries, if they let him get the workload, wow. I think he could be. So, uh, Mitch, wow. a little more depressing one here. Uh, these have all been positives. Uh, first coach fired. <laughs> Who's going to be the first head coach fired? And I. I went with a homer, maybe a homer pick here. I went with Matt Rule. I don't know. Like, that's not a homer pick. Maybe I'm not rooting for him to get fired. But Carolina was just the easy one for me that, like, they just have, it just feels like things have to go right for them. If they start off one in four, uh, he's gone. It's over. Like, they're just, they're, 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 it's, it's done. That would be the one team I think, like, six games into the year would be desperate enough to fire their head coach. Uh, is Carolina, unfortunately for me. So uh, so I went with my guy, Matt Rule. Who did you go for for first coach fired? Uh, I went with Arthur Smith from Atlanta. Um, okay. I think that, look, I love Tyler Algier. I love some of the draft picks that they made, but like Arthur Smith has not performed in Atlanta. Um, the, the defense has continued to be bad. The offense underperformed last year. What makes you think that without a Matt Ryan under center that the offense is going to be any better? I love Desmond Ritter. I think Marcus Mariota is totally competent, but they're not Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's a better option than both of those guys. Um, it, it's just hard for me to get behind what Arthur Smith is doing in Atlanta. And I think, if, you know, if you look at week eight and they're two and six, one and seven, you know, you may you may start thinking about moving on from Arthur Smith and that he's going to be probably one of the first casualties uh, of the uh, of the coaches in this in this coming 2023 season. 2022. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good one. You never know with that situation. High expectations from that ownership. Arthur Blank. We've seen that before. And, uh, you know, obviously they're they're in a reset rebuild. But if it starts off really bad, are they comfortable winning two or three games this year. You know, if it's that bad, how does, how does ownership yeah. feel about that? That you could definitely uh, see something happen uh, there. Mitch, uh, a year too early. This, uh, this goes to the team that we're just a year too early on. We see it every year, right? We did it with the Browns a few years ago. We did it with the chargers last year. Who's the team 
that everyone's going to start hyping up as this team could be the sneaky good team. They could make this leap and uh, they're just not going to do it. We actually had the both the same team here. And I think there's only one team that really qualifies for this, this season. And it, and it's the team we both picked. It's the Jaguars. Yeah. It's the Jaguars. <laughs> like, I mean, and I get it. I get it. Right. AFC South, not a good division. No urban Meyer. Trevor Lawrence, former top overall pick, right? Like, it's got to be better. And it could be even good, right? Like, it's easy to talk yourselves into they can win the division at nine or ten games, nine or ten wins, right? I mean, I get it. But this is a team that's a long way away from winning. Trevor Lawrence might be great next year. They might be much improved everywhere across the across the uh, the board. But they're still not going to win a lot of games. This is a roster far away from winning games. Uh, and I think we're just getting excited about Trevor Lawrence and just the fact that this thing is better. They had the number one overall pick last year. I hope it's better. They've had the number one overall pick two years in a row. They better be better than that, right? I mean, like, that is great, but that's not going to be good. Look, I, I put the Jaguars down as well because I honestly don't think we're a year too early. I think we're about three years too early on the Jaguars. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah. the year too early that I really want to put down, and this is the last time I will ever list them on this. The last time, because I'm fed up with this team. Fed up with expectations. I feel like we have been a year too early on the Los Angeles Chargers for the, about the last 10 years. <laughs> and yeah. I am done with – I. this is the last time I'm doing this. If they go 9-8 and eight, – I'm never having good expectations for the Chargers ever again. <laughs> never. They have underperformed every single time. And I'm I'm done with the Chargers. And if you're one of those guys that hypes up the Chargers every single year, the oh, Chargers are gonna be great. Yeah, you know, twelve and you know, twelve and five, thirteen and four, winning the division. They got Justin Herbert. Yeah, we're good to go. Great defense. No, you guys underperform every single time. The Chargers are a bigger disappointment than the Cleveland Browns, and I'll tell you why. When it comes to when it comes to expectations over the last few years, they're the biggest bigger disappointment than the Cleveland Browns because people have had them as sleeper Super Bowl champions, and they have not even made the playoffs. Yeah, the Browns we, made it and won a game. Why are know? we talking about the Chargers? Why yeah. are we talking about the Chargers? I'm done with the expectations. The last time I've ever putting them as a year too early. And you know what? I'll be right. I'll be right because they won't make the playoffs. And then the Chargers will have to go back and rebuild around Justin Herbert all over again, and they'll suck. So you know what? The Chargers are the team I'm going to put in here. And it, it's it's a little bit spiteful, but I think it's justified because <laughs> we've been a year too early on the Chargers for the last seven years. And I'm sick and tired of it. You know, it's funny because this is a team that came to mind for me. And the reason why I didn't put them down is because this was my team last year that I was like, folks, we're a year too early. It's year two Herbert. Like, are we sure this is going to work? We've been doing like, that for years, though. You know, and so it felt redundant to do it again. But you're right, because they are still in the same spot. And I, I do think they're in a better position now. I, I do think they have a more likely opportunity to make the playoffs now, obviously, than they did a year ago. But as you pointed out, they've been at the cusp of something for a very long time, and they've never reached that. So 
is this going to be the year or not? Who knows? But uh, I'll I like believe the, it when I see it. I'll believe it exactly. when I see it. That's that's kind of how I feel about the Chargers too. I'm I'm with I'm with you there, Mitch. Uh, rookie sensation, the rookie player who, after their first season in the league, establishes themselves as one of the elite, right? One of the top tier guys, and we've seen it uh, pretty frequently the last couple of years, right? Jamar Chase, Micah Parsons last year, uh, Justin Herbert as a rookie. Speaking of Herbert, guys that just immediately you knew this guy is one of the elite. Who is the most likely rookie to be that this year? I think for me, an easy answer at the running back position, at least, is Brees Hall because of the opportunity that he's going to get. Um, I, I think that Brees Hall is multidimensional. He's gonna he's gonna bring plenty of of, of opportunity for the Jets in the run game and the pass game. Uh, Guy just has it all. He has size. He has athleticism. He has the ability to catch the football out of the backfield. He has ability to run between the tackles, outside the tackles. I mean, the guy does it all. Breesaw is the easy one. I also want to point out Sauce Gardner, though. A guy that I had on my under-25 team without even playing a snap in the NFL. Because of his ability to lock down. There's a reason people in college it, it last year in college football didn't throw to Sauce Gardner's side. It's because that he just didn't let anyone catch the football. And I feel like Sauce Gardner has the as the IQ, the athleticism to translate it, that over into NFL coverages and, and to be absolutely locked down. I mean, the next. The next. Don't do it. The next Richard Sherman, the next Richard Sherman. Okay. The next big bodied, the next big bodied corner. I'm doing it right now. The next right. Richard Sherman, Sauce Gardner. I, I have to do it. I mean, you put them all, you're all under 25 teams. So yeah, you kind of had to put them here. Yeah, uh, I love yeah. those picks for you. Big Jets fan. Apparently this year, uh, Mitch, Brees Hall and Sauce Gardner on this apparently, list. Yeah. I love uh, the, the draft, but the rookie I'm going with is a wide receiver because we've seen a trend of this recently, Jamar Chase last year, the year before that, it was Justin Jefferson, right? As a rookie, having an incredible impact immediately in the NFL. And the wide receiver I went with, the guy who I had wide receiver one going into the NFL draft, who I always felt most comfortable with, and that's Drake London, who's now with the Atlanta Falcons. And the reason why I chose London is not only was I high on him as a prospect, but I really liked the opportunity in Atlanta. And I know sure. the quarterback situation is not great, right? He doesn't have Patrick Mahomes or, you know, great wide receiver quarterbacks to, you know, catch passes from, but the offense is Kyle Pitts and him. That's, that's the offense. That's the pass catching options. That is what everything is going to revolve around. It's Kyle Pitts and Drake London. The opportunities are going to be there and op with opportunity comes success. You have to have opportunities to put up numbers and to prove yourself and Drake London is one, going to be one of those rookies that has those opportunities in year one, in game one, from snap one. He will be the number one option on the field when they're on offense. So I believe in Drake London. I think he's going to succeed. The opportunities will be there. So I am buying him as he's going to be that next wide receiver on that list, immediately breaks out, immediately shows uh, that elite skill set at the next level. I'm going with Drake London. Mitch. The grass ain't always greener. This this superlative here is for a player who 
has switched teams in the offseason via trade, via free agency, for whatever reason. And things are just not going to work out much better for them in this new destination, despite what they may think or despite what others may think. Who was the player that came to mind for you? Tyree Kill. It's an easy one. It's an yeah. easy one for me. Yeah. I mean, he has he has a garbage can with a left arm throwing a football. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Okay. We don't have to be mean. I'm not being mean. To us, it's kind of I, mean I, to I, call him a garbage can with a left arm. <laughs> you know. Well, what else do you want me to call him? He's a competent quarterback. Come on, let's not act like he's Nathan oh, Peterman. All right. Hey, look, Tua is not. There is there is no way. Tyreek is lying to the American people. There is no way that Tua is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. There's no way. That's well, when you happened. only throw five yard slants and uh, five yard outs and, you know, curl, it's like, yeah, maybe if well, you're only going to hitch routes. <laughs> yeah, then he's had, he's had the wool pulled over his eyes for the whole time he's been uh, in Miami. There's no way that's true. That there, There's just no possible way that's true. I I don't think that Ty, I think this is where Tyreek Hill's career dies wow. is in Miami. I mean, Here's the. I mean, they could just go get another quarterback next year, right? Like, if let's say Tua doesn't work out in 2022, they they could. They could, but like, anything with Tua right now is a disaster for Tyreek Hill. Disaster, because what does he do? He's a deep threat guy. Tua doesn't throw the deep ball very well. Okay, he underthrows receivers a lot. So like, Tyreek is. This is not a good fit at all. I'd never liked this fit from the beginning. And for him to talk up Tua as a more accurate passer than Patrick Mahomes, he's either A, not showing up to practice and just lying about the fact that he's been there, or B, he's a crazy person. He's a crazy okay, person. Okay, he's, he's obviously playing the media game, which is what you got to do. You got to hype up your new quarterback. You got to prove, listen, I'm, I'm in on this. I just want you know, to call it as it is. The, to the shit that he's giving you. But I will say, I'm with you here. On the Tyreek thing. It's really easy. Like, it's pretty easy to say Tua's not as good of a quarterback as Patrick Mahomes. And how about just, like, besides that part, Andy Reid is a way better offensive mind than basically anybody else in the league, let alone a first-year head coach of Mike McDaniel. So, like, besides quarterback, just offensive scheme, the ability to get the most out of the best players, that, that is a huge difference that is not there in Miami. So I'm with you. This year's not going to be as good as it has been in Kansas City. There is obviously potential. I think there's some good things about the fit. I think the deep threat aspect of it is a little overlooked. What Tyree Kill does so well as a deep threat uh, is it speed, breakaway speed, yards after catchability. That can still be taken advantage of in a short passing game system. Hitch routes, slant routes, out routes, getting the ball out quick much like they did with Jalen Waddle last year, and you're giving him opportunities to make plays after the catch. That's what their offense is going to be this year with Hill and Waddle. Is it good? Is it as effective as what it was in Kansas City? Like, we'll find out, but uh, certainly shouldn't be. This isn't a better situation for Tyree Kill. Money-wise, it is. He got his payday. He got what he wanted, but football-wise, uh, probably going to be a downgrade here. The name that came to mind, for me, Mitch was another wide receiver, as as many were on the move this offseason. But I went with Marquise Brown. Mm. And I think on the surface, you you see, all right, Lamar Jackson, great quarterback, 
passing the ball is not what he does best. So if you're Marquise Brown as the deep threat, you're not with a, gr- a very accurate quarterback, not a great situation. So going anywhere should be better. But I just, I don't love Arizona. I don't love Kyler. I don't know if that's much better for Marquise Brown. He will have a bigger opportunity as DeAndre Hopkins misses the beginning of the season with his suspension. And obviously, they moved on from Christian Kirk. Uh, so there will be snaps and opportunities there. But I don't think this is just clearly a better situation in Arizona than it was in Baltimore, despite the deficiencies of Malar Jackson as a quarterback and considering the deficiencies of Kyler Murray and this Arizona team. So I'm not as hyped on this Marquise Brown thing. I'm a little hesitant on it. I'm, I'm going to yeah, be a little so, weary of this. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. It's not like you're going to Green Bay and you're playing with Aaron Rodgers, you know, like, right. You're, That's a no-brainer. You're, you're loving yeah. that. You know? <laughs> you're going to Arizona. You're playing with Kyler Murray where it's like a eh, quite a bit of a question mark there. So, yeah, yeah, no, I'm with it. I mean, the opportunities there, those first six games, you know, him and Zach Ertz are going to have massive opportunities um, as, as, receive, as receivers in that offense. But once D-Hop comes back, you know, now that level's out. And are you just kind of that forgettable number two guy now? So, right. um, you know. I, I definitely get the the sentiment that Marquise Brown might be might be very forgettable and and struggle in Arizona with a guy like Kyler Murray. Yeah, uh, a few more here NFL superlatives uh, before we wrap up the podcast. The NBA League Pass team. I love this one. This one of my favorite ones. So the NBA League Pass team. If you're not familiar, an NBA Twitter and the NBA fan sphere. The NBA League Pass team is that team that is not good. They're not a playoff team but they're fun to watch. So if you got NBA league pass and you're scrolling on a Tuesday night and there's six games going on, you're choosing that game because the Charlotte Hornets are playing and gosh, darn it. LaMelo ball is just fun to watch. And that team is just fun to watch. And so, you know what? Like we'll watch that. That is the idea. Who is the NFL equivalent of that this next season? Mitch, who came to mind? Feels really weird to say it, but it's the Detroit lions. Um, oh yes, it may not I, be fun in the sense of like we score a lot of points and like it's all flashy, but it's fun because they're just. I mean, Ross what an Saint, entertaining group. Amon Ross St. Brown is a dog. DeAndre Swift is a dog. Jared Goff, for some reason, works in this offense, <laughs> and Dan Campbell is an absolute dog on the sideline as a head coach. Um, I. I think the Detroit Lions will be fun to watch. They're not going to be a playoff team. I don't think so. They're going to be, you know, in that five to eight win ratio. Like they're going to be somewhere in there. You know, they're not going to be terrible, but they're not going to be good. But man, they're going to be kind of fun to watch. You kind of want to turn it on where the Detroit Lions are playing. So I'm going with Dan Campbell, Guns Mahoney, and his Detroit Lions. I love that pick, Mitch. That was definitely a team that came to mind. I mean, just like that, uh, I, for me, it's the offensive line. I'm like, I just want to see the run game. Like, I just want to see the kind of yeah. holes that O-line is going to be breaking open for DeAndre Swift in the backfield. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. They definitely came to mind. And they're the Hard Knocks team this year, if I'm not mistaken, correct? So uh, yes, yes. They are basically the NFL equivalent of the, of the League Pass League because everyone's going to watch them in the preseason and fall in love with the personality of Dan Campbell and those guys on that team. And then we're going to want to watch them uh, all season. So I love that pick. The team that came to mind for me, Mitch, was the New York Jets. Uh, as mm. a team that 
is going to be better this year. If they're healthy, the weapons should be better. Zach Wilson should be fun and exciting. Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, great additions. You mentioned Sauce Gardner on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I mean, this, I, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the Jets this year. They're not going to win more than like six or seven games, but they should be fun to watch week in and week out. There will be moments where they're exciting. They might win a couple of games they shouldn't. You know, they might stick around a little longer uh, and have some shootouts. And I think like that is that will be fun. I think the Jets will be fun to watch this season. And so that was the team that came to mind for me. New York Jets. I love it. All right. Last Uh, one here, Mitch. We had to throw a little fantasy football angle in here at the last one. Uh, The fantasy football steal of the season. The the player who is going to get underdrafted. And is going to pay off for you in your fantasy league. Now, we don't pretend to be fantasy experts by any means, but, you know, we play a lot of fantasy football and we're not we're not too bad at it. Uh, so who's the who's the player? I mean, maybe we're giving st- shit away to like our friends who we play leagues with who listen to this podcast. Maybe we're sort of exposing ourselves here on who we might be targeting in an upcoming redraft. But uh, who's the fantasy steal, uh, the fantasy football steal for you this season? Look, I have to go with Brandon Cooks. This guy has not finished like outside of the wide receiver 30, like maybe his entire career. Like I'm pretty sure like he has been inside that range. John Mechie, of course, very serious issues. Not going to be a part of the team. Nico Collins, very unproven. Uh, Very unsettled at running back. Like Brandon Cooks has always been able to perform at a cert at a certain level, and he's go- he's going to be a wide receiver one in a very bad offense. So he's going to be the beneficiary of a lot of targets. And outside of that, like you're going to get him in probably the 12th or 13th round. So he's going to be an exceptional value for a guy that's going to be a wide receiver one in a bad offense that's going to get a lot of volume, high volume guy, 12th, 13th round a guy that you could play in your wide receiver two or a flex option. I love Brandon cooks in a lot of fantasy drafts this year and uh, not to pl- show my hand or anything. Mm-hmm. Cause I know we have a draft coming up at least in the next month or so. So I, I can't show my hand too much, but Brandon cooks is definitely someone that I'm eyeing uh, in the late rounds as a wide receiver. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I love that Mitch uh, Brandon cooks there. And, you know, I think the wide receiver position is just one that naturally like it's so deep. There's so many wide receivers and in, in the prolific prolification of passing offenses. Now teams have two or three productive wide receivers. So there are opportunities, uh, you know, to find value in a lot of places. And it feels like uh, in the fantasy football world, you're, you're, you're looking for those opportunities, those edges, uh, Brandon cooks wide receiver 20 last year. So I love that sort of right on the cusp of like making a bigger leap there. The guy that came to mind, it's a player I mentioned earlier. It's Christian Kirk, mm. the former Cardinal headed to the Jets. I love that. You can say I love what that. you want about the contract, whether he's worth the amount of money that the car that the Jaguars gave him, given him. But he is a vast improvement over what was there last season for Trevor Lawrence and that Jaguars team. And he's gonna he's gonna be productive. I mean, even last season with the Arizona Cardinals, seventy seven receptions. 982 yards and five touchdowns last season, Mitch. 
He was wide receiver 28 last season with the Arizona Cardinals. And so keep that in mind. Now he's going into an offense where all of that is guaranteed plus some because they don't have any options to throw to. He's going to live in the slot. He's going to thrive in the slot, uh, play some outside some. But if they're going to use Kirk right, they're going to keep him in the slot. Uh, and I think he could be big, like wide receiver one levels of just numbers that he's going to be able to put up in that Jags offense. So that's a name. Very grateful I have him in the Dynasty League. He hasn't paid off for me very well yet, but maybe it's finally coming now that he's at Jacksonville. Uh, but Kirk is a name uh, that, I'm, that I'm keeping an eye on here. So there you go. Some NFL superlatives for you as we uh, approach the 2022 NFL season. Training camp's underway and the regular season just around the corner. So look look forward to that megasode that'll come up here in about a month before the season starts we'll do a full preview record predictions for every team and an in-depth analysis team by team as you've come to expect it's what we come for that's what we prepare for right mitch oh yeah 100 percent. i've been preparing since uh See, when was the Super Bowl? February 13th. <laughs> so I've been preparing since about February 14th for this. Nice. So took an yeah. evening off, got a good night's rest, woke up the next morning, and you were like, let's go. Well, I, I woke up on your spare bed because I was over in Utah. True. So um, <laughs> I woke up and started doing research on the plane ride home. So I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I am ready to go here. So. Oh, man, we are so ready for the NFL season. Uh, cannot wait. This has been a great podcast, my friend. Uh, great to be here with you guys as you top listen 87 to it. for all time. Top 87. Definitely, definitely sure. top 87 here in episode 135 on the podcast feed. Crazy to see. We're hitting some high numbers. 135? Yeah, we're getting to close to 150, man. We're getting close to 150. 150? What do we even do for that? Uh, we'll, we'll hit that. We'll hit that during the NFL season. We'll hit 150, probably sometime in October. November, you know what? Probably. Get get on Anchor and get on Instagram. That's Instagram at the Sports Hour guys. Anchor at anchor.fm slash the Sports Hour guys. Let us know what you want us to do for episode 150. I like it. Give us some yeah. ideas, some fun stuff. We're open to anything. We like to. We like fun stuff here on the podcast, don't we? Oh, Let's try to mix it up. We're all about fun out here. We're all out about fun and a good list. As you know, people love lists. There's two things we love, fun and lists. That's it. That's it on this podcast. And you know what I really love? A good fun list. You know what I mean? Uh, you know what I mean? Like good, that's like good fun oh, list. man. Fun stuff. Guys, uh, Mitch already mentioned the Instagram. If you don't already follow us there, the, the Twitter is at Sports Hour Guys. The TikTok is at the Sports Hour Guys. And as you've already mentioned, the website, please check it out. The Sports Hour Guys dot WordPress dot com more content coming there uh, especially as we gear up into the nfl season hopefully some regular weekly content that you can find there stuff that we do on the podcast here but also other things that we're thinking about and other things we want to write about so be sure uh to check us out uh there on the website mitch remind the people about anchor yeah anchor is the only place to become a permanent part of the conversation go on anchor.fm slash the sports hour guys you can leave us a voice message about anything that you want, and we will play it here on, live on the podcast. I know I got a message just last night regarding my kickers list that I just posted on the website. Austin Johansson, we should be hearing a message from him in the 
near future about uh, the egregiousness that I did not have Adam Vinatieri at number one on my list. Um, <laughs> so we should be hearing from him soon. Looking Love forward it. to hearing from you. Looking forward to hearing from you, Joe. But go on anchor.fm slash the sports hour, guys. Become a permanent part of the conversation. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. That's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get it. You'll find us right there. Go on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. Tell us that we suck because, Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we could get better, and we'd very much like to do so. So please leave us a message there and say whatever you'd like to us. Tell us off. Tell us we're beautiful. Tell us we suck. You know, just anything. Whatever tickles whatever, your whatever fancy. Yeah, whatever you feel inclined to type, just yeah. do it. You just want to explain to us about something? I don't know. We'll take it. I would love Message. a lecture. I would love like a like a like a nature lesson. I, I was literally thinking like butterflies and shit. That's literally what I was thinking about. I, I would love, love like I, I want to know more about animals. I want to know about more about animals. If you know love- about rabbits or hummingbirds or uh brown trout please or any other animals not just those three specifically if but you're like, the steve Irwin type get on anchor and let us know about an animal i would love to hear cool cool animal facts of the week are you kidding that's me? what we need let's that's go what we need who's gonna step up who's gonna step up and provide Someone us the cool animal up. fact of the week come on i love cool it we'll look forward to it, it. Go. <laughs> i love it guys well Again, uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, Love to do this. Can't wait for more NFL content, college football content coming forward here in the next few weeks. Uh, So, yeah, until next time, we love you. We appreciate you. And we will catch you next week. We are almost to football season, people. See ya.